Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The Comics and Pop Culture Peace League. Graham McMillan and I are back with the discount Easter candy that is episode 149, two hours and 20 minutes of comics and pop culture audio clutter. Today we tackle Avengers issues 75 through 100 by Roy Thomas, the Basima Brothers, Neil Adams, and Barry Smith, as well as the first two issues of Batman Eternal, the treatment of women in comics both on and off the page, Young Men issue 24, the first issue of Shudder, and our good old best friend, much, much more. Show notes are now available at savagecritic.com, and we always welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lesser! Graham McMillan, holy cow. <laughs> wow, you're holy cow as well, huh? Yeah, uh, totally, although not for any really good reasons. I'm sure you'll be like, oh, then this happened, and then that happened, and then, of course, you know, Brian <laughs> oh, no. Singer called me and wanted to tell me what happened. <laughs> You know. Yeah, yeah, because you know Brian Singer and me all the time. Oh, sure, sure. Of oh, course. yeah, I can't tell you. Uh, no, I was racing to finish a story for Wired that'll go up tomorrow about Record Store Day. Mm-hmm. I stupidly volunteered and was like, "Yeah, I'll pick up like ten records that people should pick up for Record Store Day." <laughs> yeah, terrible. And here's the thing: I had I ha- I knew all the records. I knew I was going to try it yesterday. Right. Shit just got in the way, and then today the Wired website just said it wasn't going to work. Wow. Uh, it's the point where, like, the save button disappeared. Oh, at God. <laughs> I'd like, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, God, like, this is quarter to three, and we were originally going to talk at three. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? Like, uh, so I, email, I emailed uh, my ed- Wired editors, and I'm like, okay, I'm just not going to have this done before six. Right. And they were like, well, can we schedule it anyway, just on the understanding that you'll have it done? <laughs> and I was like, yes, but I'd feel a lot more comfortable if you could, because it's a gallery I'm doing. And Jesus. normally, basically, normally, I will fuck gallery technology up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every single time I do a gallery, at some point, I screw something up with formatting and they have to save it. Oh, God. So I was like, what if I really try and get it done the next half hour? Mm-hmm. And then you could at least look at it before, like, we just hope for the best that it goes live and then it goes live and no one can see it. Right. So that's what I've been doing. And I shit you not, Jeff, when you called, you may have seen that I literally just got on Skype because mm. I've literally just finished. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, um, do you still need to pee? Should I like... Uh... No, 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 no. That's all been taken care of. Okay. Okay. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad your priorities are still rock solid. Well, I, I, I had to restart the computer anyway because if I don't, then Skype would go crazy at some point. Mm, right. So while that was happening, I was like, I'm going to pee now. Woohoo! Hooray! <laughs> Graham McMillan, multitasker, ladies and gentlemen. That's uh, that's truly fantastic. <clears throat> well, uh, so, yeah. Hi. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> Hello, Graham. <laughs> My goodness. Well, there you go. When is so, Record why, Store Day? Why? It's Saturday. It's a Saturday. Oh, it is a Saturday. Okay. So um, Now you're going to ask about me? Yeah. See, this so, is just so going what, to be completely what, What's going on with you? Well, for whatever reason, I... Um, uh, something apparently happened with our printers, making it impossible for me to print uh, the script that um, from which I will be working today. And uh, I, I just, I don't know what it was. I was completely like, oh, I've only got like 12 issues of like Avengers. Oh, Jeff, Jeff, I'm exactly the same. I read those 12 issues today. Yes. 
Oh my god! And it was amazing because it it was it was a little bit like Zeno's paradox. Like you start reading them and you're like, oh, this is going to be fast, and somehow like there's there's issues in the middle where suddenly it's like 34 pages long, and you're like, well, this is taking forever. Let's let's start with Avengers for once. Yes, let's everyone. What uh, an introduction. In large part because you've. You've literally just finished reading them, haven't you? Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> Although, by the end of it, I have to say, A, reading is maybe a, a generous uh, definition of the word, and B, I sort of felt like I was reading them almost as quickly as Roy Thomas was writing them, at least well, in those last three issues. So let, Let's let's talk about that, because did you find them a slog? Uh, yeah, you know... like. What, much more than you should, because I mean, the, those 12 issues include like the Kree Skrull War, yeah. which everyone's like, oh my god, this is like, this is the first mega epic in Marvel. And it's terrible, Jeff. It's, it's really, I have it to say, not it's not together well yeah. at all. Well, I mean, there's a variety of things. I mean, it's, you know, we say mega epic, you know, and it is, but it's, I mean, it's so god. It's. I mean, it's spread all over the place. You know, it's sloppy as shit. And you, you really get the feeling that Thomas. I mean, he clearly knew where he was going because he drops the incredibly unsubtle foreshadowing of Rick Jones being like, "I remember dreaming about these superheroes like seven issues before it happens." Yes. So he knows where he's going. Oh yeah. But he makes it seem like he doesn't. Yes. Yeah. He skillfully makes it seem like he's stumbling like a drunk bastard from one plot <laughs> to another every issue. It's kind of amazing because it does not track at, at all well. Yeah. Apart from. Rick Jones' foreshadowing and the fact that the uh, the politician is clearly a scroll. Well, it, well, cle- it, not clearly a scroll. He's clearly entirely shady. Knows more than is than he is supposed to. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's clearly a bad guy. Right. He's clearly a baddie. No, there's, there's. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's one of those things where I mean. Okay. Well, there, among other things, there's a big problem in that I feel that if nothing else. God bless him. Sal Basima's work was just getting really rushed there before he got replaced by Neil Adams. So there's a really jarring transition. I mean, the thing that's hilarious is, you know, we're like three issues into the Cree Scroll War before it really sort of starts to kind of feel like it's beginning, and it begins slowly. Those those three you're, issues you're talking about the Basima issues, the, the the with the Sentry and Captain Marvel, right? yeah, like eighty nine through ninety six. Which, like in a in a in a editorial note, you know, um, there's a point after it where you know people are where like. Roy Thomas is like, don't worry, true believers, we're not going to recap all of issues 89 through 96. And I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that is spectacular. It, but uh, it feels like a very different, it, it feels really fragmented in part because of the artist changes. Although yes. when John Buscema comes back and spells Adams twice, that's yeah. incredibly smooth. Tom yes. Palmer does a great job. Yeah, Tom, and, uh, and that's uh, it. Uh, if Tom Palmer had maybe been inking the entire thing the whole way, but it really is, compared to what we think of as the traditional epic of today, you know, e- even when you get like six artists, you know, jumping in to fill in the last issue, this thing just feels like, uh, like a really tattered, hastily thrown together seat of the pants thing. 
pretty much from the very first issue. Yeah, you know? it's amazing. Cool. Are you counting the first issue is basically when Captain Marvel comes into the book? Yeah, it's yeah issue so eighty nine. Right? Exactly. The only good alien is a dead alien. Um, and, and classic Roy Thomas, the only good alien dot 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 Nets Page is yes. a dead alien. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and actually, what was great is issue eighty eight, which is the first part of the Harlan Ellison Hulk Cyclops uh, Megilla. Uh, has Iron Man saying, shrink him down any further and you're one dead alien. And, and so the very next issue is, I'm like, man, like, it's shrunk him down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I was just like, boy, like Thomas clearly had dead aliens on the brain, you know, and he also kind of really was sort of like, oh, this is going to be a powerful statement about our times. And it's, eh, you know, it, it, but here's the thing as well. Have you seen Captain America the movie yet? The new uh, one? No, I have not. I have not. And uh, that, I found I found a lot of the political paranoia that Thomas is trying to get to mm-hmm. in in this Creed Scroll War or the, the early issues where it's very much like there are aliens, but amongst us, what the fuck? Yes, incredibly reminiscent of the paranoia that's in the Winter Soldier. Mm. Uh, much more than I a remembered because I mean I I read the Creed Scroll War before. Oh, interesting. I, and uh, also much more than you would really credit either side with. Because mm-hmm. Thomas is not subtle at all. No. Winter Soldier is also not subtle. Mm. But it's not subtle in a very contemporary way, if that right. makes sense. Oh, totally. And so it's, it's kind of surprising how fresh that element of the Grease Girl War actually felt mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. time through. Yeah. No, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's very... The Grease Girl War, to me, was really... Uh, apart from the fact that it's it's practically bigger than um uh, than Thomas can can clearly keep track of like honestly he's got some moving point all these moving parts none of them are particularly subtle but it's almost all he can do to kind of keep remembering where he left you know, one piece to the next. Yeah, and, yeah, and, exactly. There's and, a lot of forward momentum, but you get the feeling that it's it's runaway momentum as yeah. opposed to he's in control of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there there really is that that very fascinating transition from you know the Avengers, the faint of the uh, of the Cap, Iron Man, and Thor, like we're breaking up the Avengers forever. Get out of here! And then the next issue being like them sort of hanging around and the vision shows up and, you know, it gets resolved, but like way farther into the issue than you would like to where the point where it's like, I'm like, Oh, okay. He, maybe he forgot what he was doing the previous issue. Maybe he just got that busy. So there really wasn't a lot of, for me, faith in Thomas's ability to hold everything together. But that being said, I think by the time you get to that point, where, you know, the Avengers just end up in these fucking rocket ships. Like, you know, they get shot into space. They have one meager ship. They have to fight off this scroll armada while they, they have to one be meager more. ship that they borrow from Nick Fury, by the way. Yes. Oh, totally. Totally. Who's and like, also, there, there's a panel where Nick Fury is both eyes. Did you notice that? Oh, I love that. When they're flying, it's, that happens a <laughs> lot. There's that scene where he's like flying by in a jet and he's like, yes! ah, look down there eyes And you're like, really? No one caught that? Oh, there's so much stuff. I mean, that's it. That's how clearly they were hauling ass. Like, well, it's, um, it's, it's sloppy shit. It really, really is. It's, yeah. it's amazingly sloppy. And I guess it, this is the, 
everyone's a victim of their own success era of Marvel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, where I, I'm guessing it's the point where, like, they're just, especially when it goes to 34 pages or something, right. you get the feeling they're literally just like, we have how much to do? Holy mother of God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just churn this shit out. Yeah, and I and and there is enough of. I mean, you know, by this point, like Thomas is has a substantial position of power uh, within Marvel, you know, and so it it's like he's got like nine million other things that he's trying to keep juggling. Clearly, and yeah, there are just times where it's like even on his own book, it's there's like I guess because there's. On the Neil Adams issues, there's no colorist um, credited, and I assume that's because Adams is coloring his own work. What is it not right? Is it not um, Tom Palmer? Am I completely misremembering that? No, I, maybe you are. Maybe it's maybe he's the inker and the and the artist on it. Let me see if I. I, I want to say that Palmer. Uh, he definitely worked for a while as a colorist. Well, all I know is is that if he's working here, which is quite possible, he is... He's doing uncredited. Yeah, he's completely uncredited. Um, and and also, there's I'm having very weird moments where it was like, somebody clearly forgot what color like the Vision skullcap was. So it was kind of like... Oh, all, all the way through, where it's like, is it yellow? Is yeah, it is it yellow? red? Is it's, it green? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just, it's really, they're like, uh, somebody's got to figure out this character sooner or later. Oh, I also, can we talk about just, uh, in issue 90, the splash page, which has the vision wearing the turtleneck? Oh, I love that. I was just Hold looking at wearing that. Wearing the turtleneck, yeah. but like, he's still wearing his gloves as well. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I, I love, and he's playing chess, and he's just, he gets the feeling he's just like, this is how I relax, you guys. And you kind of want to see him stand up, because there's, for me, there's a suspicion, because he's wearing gloves, that he was just wearing his costume, and then he got cold. Oh, and he, he just put out a sweater. He totally was. I mean, he's, he's actually wearing purple pants or whatever, but when he turns immaterial, all his clothes fall on the floor, and it's just kind of like, well, of course they would, Jeff. Right, of course, of course. I mean, there's, ah, there's so much. I mean, honestly, there was, shit that just i don't know the stuff that i ended up enjoying oh but anyway so yeah so by the time that you get you get these you get these four avengers in a spaceship that nick fury has given them that somehow is powered by thor's hammer which makes you know even no sense and then they jump into their little x-wing fighters to go out and fight this armada you know and you've even got like goliath and and captain america flying around like you don't see any training. You don't see, but it's just there's something kind of great uh, to me about that idea of I I honestly can understand it at that moment. I could understand sort of why this was kind of as big as it was, and part of it is just like the maybe a lot of it is this you know Thomas really was continuity combing. I mean, for Christ's sakes, you know he brings back the scrolls who were cows, which everyone. You know, for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's great. Everyone forgot about those dudes until, you know, Miller and Morrison did the Scroll Kill Crew. And it's like, no, they just, they didn't even bother to remember the Kree Scroll War because Thomas has them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, everyone remembers them apart from when they came back. But also, yeah. I mean, this is the most continuity porny in the world. It's oh, yeah. not just that he brings back all these random characters at the end. Yes. But. The Kree Scrawl is not an Avenger story. I mean, it is because it happens in the Avengers title and it features Avengers. Right. But nothing from it is native to the Avengers. Yes. It's like, 
Roy Thomas was like, I'm just, I'm just going to pick up slack from the Fantastic Four well, that's from it. Captain Marvel. It feels and that's all like it is. The, the biggest Fantastic Four story ever told. Which and... doesn't really feature the Fantastic Four, apart from the thing being a dick. Oh, which, which is great. I, I loved. It was like, that is the most out of character thing ever. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's to get, no, yes, it's you, really no, 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 I know. By this so, point in the character, it totally is. And of course, so the part I, we should explain because we give absolutely no context to this stuff. <laughs> um, no, because someone actually tweeted at me as well. They're like, they're like, you two obviously know what you're talking about, but you never explain it. I, I, uh, which, which is true. Twenty percent of the time we do. Twitter, the most out of character uh, moment for the thing is uh, the political paranoia bo- boils over into congressional hearings. Yes, uh, over aliens and are the Avengers with like keeping aliens secret and, and spearheading an alien invasion essentially. Right. And they, they bring in the Fantastic Four, and Reed Richards is like, "Well, I've never met Captain Marvel, but if the Avengers are hanging out with him, I'm sure he's a cool dude." And then as the thing, the thing's just like, "Well, I don't know why he's not here. You've got to think to yourselves like." These aren't the real Avengers versus Captain America. Come on. These guys are fake. Yeah. I throw them in jail. It's hilarious. I, lo- I love that. I did think that that was hilarious. And then, of course, of course, you know, Goliath slash Hawkeye is like, why are you crummy? Which is hilarious because the next issue, he basically, like, lets down his guard when the thing comes charging at him, which is actually yeah. the scroll version of the yeah, thing. exactly. He's like, oh, I love the thing. But no, I I, time. I do mean that that for me because because Thomas is connecting some dots, especially with, I mean the thing that I thought was really interesting to me is is that the part of the epic starts off with what really was I thought like a, a terrible terrible story, um, which is that a bunch of explorers up in the Arctic, including Hank Pym and you know the Wasp. Um, are basically caught when a a a Cree ship, Sentinel ship, arises from the ice and turns on its de-evolution ray, which turns Hank Pym into the most comical caveman of all time. <laughs> he really, he. I'm like, but, okay. I'm like, there's no blonde caveman. I don't. I'm just not getting it. I don't. Just explain it one more time. Hair, okay. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's just it's just a thing. Baldness is an evolutionary mutation. It, it clearly, clearly is. Come yeah, on. As part of the master race, you know. Uh, no, but everything about the opening uh, three-parter mm-hmm. is amazingly shitty. Yeah. Never mind the fact that Captain Marvel comes in, the Sentry comes in, they fight the Sentry, and then they're like, "Oh, Hank Pym's in trouble. Let's just go after Hank Pym." Right. They ignore, like, the sentries run off with Captain Marvel. They're like, we'll catch up with him later. We'll go and deal with Hank Pym. First of all, that's nuts. That They're not like, well, maybe we should split up. They're just like, ah, oh, Hank Pym takes priority. He's right. an Avenger, you guys. Yeah. Which is hilarious. But then they run into the sentry as part of the Hank Pym thing, yes. and none of them are surprised. <laughs> They're just like, look, it's the sentry. Right. No one's like, wait, these two things are connected at all. Yeah. Because... Thomas is clearly like, okay, they're connected. I've worked it out. And he forgot that the characters shouldn't know this. Yeah, he he actually clearly was having problems with that throughout in huge chunks of his plotting. One of the things that I thought was great, like I said, it's I felt like it was it was his idea for like a killer Fantastic Four story that since he wasn't writing the Fantastic Four, 
he kind of morphed it over because, and maybe not, but I mean, he really oh, has that whole so section. Oh, there's so much fantastic for here. There, there's the Kree, there's the Skrulls, there's the Inhumans. Right, which he connects with them, but then he yeah. goes through this whole thing of like, well, even, okay, we've heard of you, like Thor sort of encountered some of you, maybe, so good enough for us. You I know? know, I'm coming to look for you because uh, it's your book. Right, totally. Totally. Uh, there's, yeah, there's the the uh, the human torch, the human torch hint mm-hmm. with the vision. I mean, it's such, and also Fantastic Four show up twice. Once yeah. is real Fantastic Four, and once is Scroll Fantastic As Four. Scroll Fantastic like, Four, yeah. It's so much. He had this great Fantastic Four story that, he, but he was writing Avengers, and he was like, "I'm not going to let that stop me at yeah, all." Exactly. I can I can jam all this in here, and there is a little bit of the uh, of you know, like. Roy Thomas maintenance man for the Marvel universe. Cause it really was like, Oh, remember that in human series that nobody cared about? Ah, don't worry. <laughs> like, you know, black bolt and that, that kid that climbs onto the rocket ship that nobody ever sees again, ever. <laughs> All right. Ever. It's Joe. Who knows what he's doing here? And then Roy Thomas is like, well, clearly I don't. I don't. Oh. So see you, Joey. <laughs> like, good luck to you. We'll just assume you were fine. Although, just wait, like, Jonathan Hankelman, he'll be the murderer of the Watchers. Original oh, yeah. Scene. Totally. It's like, everyone forgot about me. You left me on the moon. To die. I had to eat blue area rats. You know. Um, yeah, totally. Totally. Which is, I, you know, so I really had that moment of, like, e- even at the, because it seems to me, at, like, as somebody who, like, Marvel history is, like, like, I figure I know so much of it, I never bothered to look it up. Is is like, in that beginning three-part story, I'm like, oh, well, this is really dopey, but at least it explains where the Savage Land comes from. And then it doesn't. You know, it's not the <laughs> Savage Land at all. It's like, oh, no, no, this is some other, de- you know, this is an area where we the Kree turned dinosaurs and, but, you know, this also, hot spot in the pole. Jen, but mm-mm. Also, the Savage Land had appeared by that point. Well, I... I, that's what I'm saying. I didn't know. Over in, like, the X-Men? X-Men. Yeah. Savage Land appears yeah. during the Kirby run of X-Men, which is, like, years ago by this oh, point. Okay, okay. Well, see, and that's what I'm saying, is I didn't know. I was not following that that end of things, Graham. So I was kind of like, oh, hey, this is great. But then again, it's like, oh, no, this is really, this is, again, this is just comically, comically bad. And, and, and this is amazingly shoddy. It's not great at all. It's yeah. horrific. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, horrific is sort of, I don't know. I mean. <laughs> it's it's not, I mean, here's the thing. It's a, many people love this, this story. Right. Many people think it's a classic. If it is a classic. It's a classic of bad storytelling. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, yes. There's good, there's there's good bits in it, right? But it's not a good run at all. Oh no, 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 no. I I totally agree. I mean, one of the things that I think is really, to me, fascinating. A, like you said, uh, it's a little bit about Thomas doing the Avengers, you know, by the time he gets to 100, he's done something like 75 issues of it, right? So... He takes over 30-something, so yeah, he's, he's definitely up there. Is it 30? It's, yeah, I thought it was like 26 or 28, or it's it's probably earlier. I don't know, let's see, I've got them, got them all in my iPad, if I can just open them fast enough. Let's see. This Power Unleashed is... Oh yeah, I think you're right. Stan Lee, and that's 29. It's thir- issue 35 takes over. Okay, 35. So yeah, so he's... 
still, 65 issues, that's kind of five years worth of stuff, but he, bless his heart, he really topped out, you know, at some point, like, there was that amazing period where it just sort of seemed like, holy shit, he's, you know, the, the area, era that we talked about, you know, a few episodes back, and that, like, I was kind of like, you were like, eh, dips in quality. I mean, it really does, like, you'll have one or two good issues, then some amazingly shitty issues. You'll have stuff that just reads like, you know, secondhand Silver Age DC stories, and then, you know, some cringing attempt at relevance, you know. And then you'll get to something that sort of seems kind of cool, or, you know, where he is... His, but like his moves, you know what I mean? Like, honestly, when you read 65 issues of Roy Thomas comics, you pretty <laughs> much, you pretty much got his moves down by, by 30 in, and there's still another 35 to go, you well, know? But also, the Crease Girl War is the most Roy Thomas comic Roy Thomas has ever written. Yes. Well, it is, it, it's up there. You, you don't think? I, I think because of its fascination with nostalgia and with minutia, and it's kind of slapdash quality. It mm-hmm. it seems to typify everything that people think about Roy Thomas. But yeah, we'll see. Okay. And, and, and is is far does that far more so than other Roy Thomas things? Or at least until you get to like his, you know, his nineteen eighties DC stuff, where he's like, and it's World War Two, okay? See, and that and it's that's fucking World War Two. That's that's kind of why I'm like. I'm like, Graham, did you forget me telling you about the Invaders Annual that's a sequel (laughs) slash prequel to the Avengers story that explains how everyone ends up with their wrong costumes and trunks so that it's all continuity correct? Like, Also, I I, I have to tell you, I I did actually forget about that. And as you're saying that, I'm making a note to myself going, I've got Marvel Unlimited now. I can actually finally read that story. Yeah, you, yeah, totally do. Totally do. Cause it, cause it really is like that to me is, I don't know. I just, or even like, I mean, there's that amazing in back in the seventies, the, the one issue that that's um where the Avengers go to the, the Halloween parade and Rutland for, Vermont. Yeah, it's the, the, the Squadron Sinister story. Oh yeah, it's the Return right? of the or, Squadron Sinister. Yeah, so it's around. Is it around eighty or something like that? Or yeah, it's it's in the batch we've just sort of run through. Yeah, it, it's definitely after seventy five. It, it, but yeah, it, it's and it's like, hey, I'm Roy, and here's my wife, and it's not Dan, it's the other one. Yeah, 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 Jeannie, which Jeannie, is yeah. which is which is great because of course then Jeannie like. I don't know, Roy Thomas, like, seriously, that's the other thing is, is like, oh, I understand why he was really good writing, you know, barbarian comics, you know, where women just got slung over people's shoulders. Because even when he's writing a scene like that, where it's like, hey, it's Roy Thomas and Jeannie, and she's like, the Avengers, which one's Mrs. Peel? And he's like, quiet, you. You know what I mean? It's just totally Quiet, like, woman. Yeah, totally. Yeah, a little like, bit. Like, cool it, kid. Uh, like, uh, oh, man. On, on the week when the internet is... Uh, rightfully, I think, um, yes, upset about gender issues in comics. Just, just you bringing that up, just there, I was like, oh my god, it's always been there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the thing that is problematic is that. Uh, oh wait, okay, I did for, for for those curious about what we're talking about, Avengers eighty three has an amazing sort of like Roy Thomas appearing in his own book as well as an actual real event with real people. Um, 
and a real Halloween parade that I remember as a kid thinking must have been like cool and later on upon growing up realized must have been like completely horrifying. In a yeah, way. exactly. The worst thing imaginable. Yeah. I but mean, you also, you also get the idea that they probably thought that it was spectacular. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure everyone had fun with that. So actually, amazingly enough, that appearance is in the even more super crazily relevant, the Liberators uh, oh, issue yes. of the Avengers. Which is, uh, that's the thing, we actually haven't really talked about this post-75. No. So, post-issue 75, yes. the book goes in this weird tailspin of yeah. irrelevance for a while. Yeah. Where it's like, here's a two-part story, here's a three-part story, here's a one-part story, and it all just doesn't like, it seems like Thomas is literally like, I, I don't know what I'm doing now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fuck this, this, this. And part of that is, with part of that, you get things like the Liberator story, which is hilarious. Yeah. Looking at it today. Right. Um, for people who don't know what that is, it is the issue where um, the Enchantress in the guise of the Valkyrie, the first Valkyrie. Yeah. Um, basically forms... A, a woman's Avengers, a book today that would be called Girl Avengers. Yes. Uh, except she calls them the Lady Liberators, yeah, which yeah. consists of the Scarlet Witch, the Wasp, um, Medusa, the Black Widow. I don't think it's the first time the Black Widow joins the team, right? Uh, such as it is. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and so they beat up men because, hey, this is what feminism was like in 1960. Well, I think, I think this is the thing that I think is really hilarious is 1970. It's 1970. Yeah. It's nine, it's 1970. Um, the, the, the story in true, uh, Roy Thomas style is called Come On In, The Revolution's Fine. Um, which is broken across two pages as we love it because it's Roy Thomas. It's gotta be broken across two pages. And the thing that is kind of amazing is a, the wasp shows up because she's been summoned to the Avengers hall. Um, and B, the fact is, is that the Valkyrie stands up and says stuff that is basically like, (laughs) It's great. She says, I see you lose the tiny wings on your back when you grow. Well, soon you shall lose something else as well. The invisible shackles which men have placed on you. And the death battle, she says. Soon you will know who the Valkyrie is and why I've dedicated my life to the downfall of male supremacy. Yes. And I do love, it's this amazing thing. I mean, this is, this is the sad thing is like, it's 1970. Roy Thomas has, I, I think, kind of issues. But frankly, again, it's 1970. Guys are trying to wrap their brain around women's lib and feminism back then. It's first wave feminism, really. And, you know, they're trying. I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse him. But, I mean, the thing that Pretty is really horrified. No, 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 no. Oh, I, I'm, I'm merely trying to point, really, how sad it is to be going through this shit. 44 years later is pathetic. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, you, you mean the, the internet shit? The, the... Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Well, I'm it's... not, I'm not trying to, trying to cut Thomas any slack. Okay, I'm just I, saying. I, yeah, I understand what you mean. I have to tell you this week, uh, I have been fairly absent from social media in large part because I've just been so busy. Right. But also because all of that stuff is incredibly distressing to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I initially had this response of, you know, I'm not going to say that it's not okay to threaten someone's rape because fucking human decency. Like, that's just common sense. Right. And almost everything I'm seeing this week 
Like, I keep on seeing people retweet, and it's, like, genuine tweets from other people that are along the lines of, I'm glad that not everyone is telling us not to rape people, because they can't tell us what to do, they can't control us. And you're like, what the fuck are these people thinking? Yeah, yeah. What is wrong with these people? What is wrong with fucking humanity? Yeah. Well, it, it is, it's this very, how do I put it, like... I, I'm sure you know because it get, it's been thrown around a little bit in some of the comments, but uh, I think it was – wasn't it John Scalzi who wrote the, the article about – it was a blog post basically saying that that straight white male is life's easy setting. You know what I mean? Like in the video yeah. game of life, straight white male – Well. Well, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, but – okay. So but this is – this honestly is my thing is, is that – it, it for a lot of people, life is just not easy. You know what I mean? It's just not. And there's a lot. There's just a lot of people who are so blind to their privilege, in part because they don't feel like they have it easy. You know, I mean, there's so many gradations of of white maleness. Some of them, admittedly, are just insane entitled dicks. Um, but I do think that there are guys who are really so blind to it. And the other thing that I think is really frustrating for me to talk about is this concept of, um, (sighs) what I think of is a very Fox news, you know, were the victims stance that is very, that has been very, very popular in American politics for a long time, which is broken out very, very repeatedly. Um, you know, and which a, a lot of these people just kind of, you know, they, they are following these, the, the lead that has been, I mean, that's the thing that's really hideous is Fox news says like commentators on their shows frequently say things that go absolutely unaddressed by, you know, quote unquote, more traditional media. You know, no one sits around like CBS doesn't sit around like you get maybe Jon Stewart or, you know, a show on MSNBC taking the time to shame Fox News about some of its stands, but it's for the most part the, oh, look at me, I'm a victim. I'm being, my rights are being taken away. Like my rights to prevent people from worshiping their own religion, my right to be offended by someone else's sexuality or gender choices. You know, like it's this weird jujitsu. So I don't think that it's especially surprising that you have an entire generation of dudes who are trained to basically turn around and cry victim whenever they're just essentially not allowed to do what they want, you know, because the, because it really is, that's the, that's the behavior that they've learned from, you know, I, I honestly, I think more successful media uh, above them, you know, um, I will, I am not disagreeing with you, even though it sounds like what I'm going to say is disagreeing with you. Uh-huh. Cause I think you're right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that doesn't excuse. Oh yeah, no. Any of the behavior or what? I mean, what I think is happening here is not just stop oppressing me, mm-hmm. because ju- jumping from guys, this Teen Titans cover is shitty, right? 
to I am going to kill you or I'm going to rape you. Yeah, shut up. It's way beyond. Like, that's not stop oppressing me. Right. That is, that's like, that's another leap. That is true. (laughs) That is absolutely true. Because here's the thing. Fox News don't go, someone voted for Obama, I'm going to rape you. Uh, Well, they actually have had quotes by (laughs) politicians talking about, like, picking up their guns you know, and and I mean they don't they don't flat out go that right. But no, you're absolutely right. Like there, it, but there is it, there's, there's a there's, little I, bit of the there's this is something that you are being th- like. Basically, the idea is is that anything different from your way of life is a threat. You should respond to that threat with bullying tactics. When those bullying tactics are challenged, you immediately have to turn into a whiner. You know. Which is also a tendency for bullies themselves. So there's there is a bullying culture that is oh, I, I think I'm, rampant I'm not, in America. You know, I'm not disagreeing with you about mm-hmm. that. And and I'm but not. Don't I, get me wrong. I'm not saying like and that's okay. I'm just saying that that well, that's it's good, so. If you were, we'd yeah. have problems. Oh boy, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> the real weight what gets dropped. Um, yeah. No. I I just so again. Part of me is like. I want to parse out, like, in in his own shabby way. I feel that feel that Roy Thomas really is trying to change, and he's got some messages about <sighs> tolerance. About me, in fact, there's it's it's. I would have to dig through it, but I actually but, but took. He, he doesn't, Jeff. Okay, like, hold on, talking, hold on. You're talking about the Lady Liberators issue? No, I mean, no, 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 no. The Lady okay, Liberators issue say, is a mess, yes. Yeah, Lady Liberators, you're going to say, like, you can see he's trying to work through some feminist ideals and that. He's really not. Like, he's actively not by having the feminist character not only dominate all the other women in the book, but be revealed to be the Enchantress at the end. <laughs> like, that is, yeah, no, I would not buy any argument. Although it does feature the spectacular panel where the Enchantress blasts the vision in Goliath while shouting up against the wall, male chauvinist bitch. Yes, yeah. Which is, <laughs> which just, is so great. Is and also amazing. so weirdly, like, culturally relevant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, he's like, oh, I can't say up against the wall, motherfuckers, but I'm going to co-op that and replace motherfuckers with male chauvinist pigs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know? I, 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 feel, I feel that's... Perhaps unsurprisingly for a a white guy with aspirations of the middle class, um, Roy Thomas is very antsy about the boat being rocked, which is interesting because he's in a very, very rocky time, you know, for America. So you, you, of course, remember the set of issues, and I think this was before 75, so we complained about them copiously, where the sons of the serpent come back, and of course the it turns out that they're not being led by the white right-wing conservative talk show host, but rather him and the black, you know, radical militant, you know? Yes, it's, it's you know, it's Roy Thomas's, yes, black people can be racist too. Right. Do right. you see? Yeah, 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 exactly. The true villain is hatred. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And greed and money. And what else can I fit into the story here? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, so he so in in a letter where he gets called out on some of that stuff. Um, oh, is this, is this the letter that runs across two issues for of his letter call to respond to? It's I think it's the one where it's like he writes he prints the entire letter in one issue and then the entire and then reply just, yeah, in the next. Yeah, yeah, and, and, it's, and it's so yes. painful. His reply is so painful. Well, it's interesting. So he's, here's a par- here's a paragraph. Recently, I chanced to hear a leading radio commentator express his view that the question of the 70s, the question which might well decide the fate of the nation in this decade, was, will the center hold? In other words, will the democratic tradition, which has guided this country through the storm and stress of the past two centuries, be strong enough to resist pulls both to the political right and to the left? Or will elements of both sides so polarize opinion that the United States will be divided into two armed camps, each hating the other with a blind, unreasoning hostility, which renders all communication and compromise impossible. Will the center, and I'm not speaking here of a silent majority, for that majority dare not remain silent if it wishes to survive, prove strong enough to take what is vital from both groups and create from them a synthesis, a hybrid which is equal to more than the sum of its parts, Will it be able to bring about a reconciliation, perhaps even a resurgence of that mysterious commodity, love, on which both sides seem to claim a copyright? As one writer, one member of the Marvel bullpen responsible for my own thoughts and no one else's, I devoutly hope and pray that it will. So, you know, I, again, this is like, I see exactly that I mean, Roy Thomas has basically written just about every slate commentary blog entry that has been printed in like the last seven years, you know, and there are a lot of people like I, I perhaps I'm making the mistake by continually to bring in the political to this, but I do feel that, um, how do I put it? I reading that I can understand why Thomas has a much more centrist uh, take on things. And I sort of feel like that take maybe isn't so naive in 1970s or even especially, um, how do I put it? I just want to make sure that Thomas... Like Thomas's failings as a writer, as a guy who can be very slipshod and quick with his hot-headed characters who turn around and start bashing one another for no reason, necessarily turns into, oh yeah, because Roy Thomas really, really is not a feminist. You know, it's like he is, he was a, he was a conflicted dude. And I think he, he thought he, he was he def- trying he to was do something. Conflicted- yeah. That's true. I will agree with both those. He was definitely a conflicted dude, and he definitely thought he was trying to do something. And I think, honestly, his intentions were good. Yes. But he was very much a product of his time. Yes. And I think any... I, I, you can't really... I don't think anyone could really convince me, not that I think you're trying to, mm-hmm. that, for example, his Lady Liberators issue really holds up as any sort of feminist text. Oh, no, no, not at all. I mean, it's a complete... How do I put it? It's a complete mess, but it is not the... It is not the anti-feminist text that that I think it could be read as out of context with the rest... Separated from the rest of Thomas's sort of 
sloppy slapdashiness. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, and this is from a guy who really spent, you know, whose eyebrows practically rose so high they like connected at the back of his neck reading the way Thomas characterized the Wasp for, you know, 50 some odd issues at a time, you know? Um, but I, I don't even think you call it an anti-feminist text because it has his, it has him really doing his best, right? Doing his best in the, uh, doing his best from the mindset of the man who has been writing the wasp like that or the the scarlet witch like that. Yes, and so his ideas of female ambition and female equality don't really go beyond. The idea that, hey, girls, we can form our own team and then we can talk about the boys that we really dig. Right. Well, dude, I, the thing that's, I would have been fine with that in a way. I'm really impressed that you, he was basically like, yeah, and so that's why we have to go kick everyone's ass. And like, the wasp is like, yeah, okay, that makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, same with the black widow. No, They're like, oh yeah. But sure, also, yeah. The, mm-hmm. the wonderful explanation about why they knew that the, uh, the enchantress was, was the enchantress. Uh, I forget that part. Was it? Which is because she called uh, the wasp wench. <laughs> and they, were like, they were like, what? She called her wench. We knew that she wasn't who she was supposed to be. Right. You're like, she wasn't but, I mean, the, the, the last, last part, Yeah, the last part, panel of this hints at something that I wish they followed up on. And I think, to be honest, Thomas may have wanted to do, which mm-hmm. is that the Lady Liberators would come back. Yes. Yeah, I think that I, and I, I think get he did feeling want that. that he was like, this this could be a thing, you guys. Mm-hmm. Like we could actually have, yeah, a, a team that has no men on it. Yeah, and that like that could that could be the gimmick. That could be the selling point. And what's hilarious is it took Marvel what forty five years to come back to that idea. Yeah, yeah, they're like uh, X Men, but it's going to be all women. But we can't necessarily no, call fearless it defenders. Oh, uh, whatever. They they yeah. I'm like ah, Graham. Fearless or Daughters of the Dragon before it. Like I mean, they keep. How do I put it? They oh, keep I'm trying just... in their own sort of sad, unexceptional way. I mean, it's, you know, that the fact that, I don't know if you saw this, but there was the, you know, Rich's, like, gender-crunching the Marvel retreat, where it was like, yeah, hey, it's all white guys, ta-da! Like, you know, it's, people are always like, oh, no, 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 you didn't. You didn't show pictures of the female editorial assistants, you know, and it's just like the 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 marketplace is things are screwy. Things are really yeah. screwed I, at I, a very I fundamental felt, level. I felt, I felt Rich's thing was like weirdly gotcha. Mm-hmm. Do you know, like it was it was kind of cheap mm-hmm. because Marvel are Marvel's retreat is what Marvel Street always is, which is the best selling writers that they have under exclusive contracts. Right, and that they're all white men is not Marvel's fault, mm-hmm. per se. Right, you well, know, like I think I, no, yeah. it's not really mm-hmm. because here's the thing: if uh, if Ms. Marvel was selling the numbers that all new X Men was, mm-hmm. and she was an exclusive writer, she'd be there. Mm-hmm. Like Willow Wilson would be there. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Don't you, isn't it unlikely that there's going to be a female writer in the marketplace that's going to be valued enough? Like, because the exclusive thing is the idea of, like, you've got to lock down somebody who's, you know, who's high in demand. Sure. You know? But again, again, is that Marvel's fault? Or is that a cultural issue that goes 
beyond Marvel. Well, it is a cultural issue that, that does go beyond Marvel. I think that it's a very... I, I don't think that it's any worse a gotcha than, than the image gotcha is, which is, is like if people are going to talk about changing things, they should at least pay enough attention to what change looks like. Otherwise, it seems kind of but, but lazy. Marvel, and But the Marvel Retreat is not about change. The Marvel Retreat is about consolidating their brand. Uh... The Image Expo was presenting itself as a, as a very different thing. And also, the Image Expo was a PR stunt. Yes. The Marvel Retreat is a business meeting. Uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, it, 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 in the sense that I, it's I not open, it's... but as a retreat that is openly talked about. But it's a retreat, Jeff. <laughs> but, but Graham, so this is my thing. If it's a retreat, but then you have writers sh- tweeting pictures from it and talking about it, and it is the subject of every editorial in chief's discussion with comic book resources. Oh, but. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just... I do know what you mean, but but part of me is also like, as soon as we actually say that the Axel in Charge column is setting any sort of journalistic agenda, I think we should just... No, but that's that's my point. It it sets a PR agenda. Right? Yeah, but it's... uh... But that's what I'm saying. Sure. So okay. you're saying I, that, like, oh, because it's more than a PR opportunity, it shouldn't be treated I'm as not, a PR opportunity. I'm not saying it's more than a PR opportunity. I'm saying it's something different. <laughs> like, oh. the, the Image Expo existed purely as a PR opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's it it only purpose was to sell Image Comics. Uh, That's it. Uh-huh. I, do you disagree? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, uh, let's put it this way. I will agree with you that the vast majority of the Image Expo is to promote the brand and to sell comics. Whereas the Marvel Retreat, the purpose is to basically work. How are we going to maintain market dominance? The main purpose. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally, I totally agree with that. But again, so PR, pur- PR purposes from that come secondary if not tertiary mm, to it secondary sure but but they still kind of do you know like i don't know i so I, wait are, so wait are you saying just as we were saying that image should have been more conscious of the visual of its creative lineup and that uh, thing are you saying that marvel should have invited uh kelly sue or willow or and here's when I run into trouble because I'm like, is Marvel employing any other female writer right now? Oh, well, see, that's it. I don't. Catherine Eminem, maybe? I, I, don't, think, think, I, I don't think she I don't is, think she... is she? Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Should but... they invite Kelly Sue or Willow to there purely for the visual of it? Yeah, I, I, personally, considering some, although they are not exclusive, I would say that they are probably selling within 10,000 copies of what Matt Fraction's books are selling. Yeah. Sure, but Fraction wasn't there, was he? He was there. He was, he's was right, I, 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 he's I right in thought, the corner of, of the picture. Course, I could tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I see what you're saying. Apologist. The liberators <laughs> are coming I, for you, my I, friend. I, who am I apologizing for? Mm. Marvel Fraction? Yeah, everyone. Oh, I haven't figured it okay. out, Graham. <laughs> 
the important thing is yeah, the title. I, I'm sorry on behalf of everyone. What I will say is, uh, having been in a story conference where Kelly Sue was there, mm-hmm. they should hire her just to poke holes in other people's theories because she's great at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, well, I was at the... the and now we're, we're totally getting off Avengers. Sorry, everyone who thought we were going to finish our Avengers. Uh, that's stuff. no one surprised. We'll come back. Um, I, I didn't take notes, so my notes are really scattershot. I'm like, <laughs> Masters of Evil? Question mark. You know, so. Um, I was at the, I sat in on a, a writer's conference for uh, Dark Horse's Aliens, Predator, Prometheus, Aliens versus Predator thing right. the other week. Uh, for something I'm writing up for Hollywood Reporter way in advance, because that's the craziness of this thing. I wasn't uh, sure if you could talk about it, which is part of why. Uh, I, I think I've said enough publicly that I was there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kelly Sue was one of the writers there. Right. Uh, and it was... It, I, I, I loved being there. I mm-hmm. will say that first off. I, I It was fascinating. It was weird like as a as a process won't because i always been like i wonder how they do it like watching them do it was great was right. so great and i i came away compl- i came away really excited to read the books mm-hmm. i came away and be like oh i can't wait to see you know how they pull that off i can't wait to see if that's going to be what i think it's going to be i can you know all those i weirdly enough getting the look inside right made me much more excited for the books mm-hmm. and i was already pretty excited for the books mm-hmm. um but seeing kelly sue in action mm-hmm. was was amazing mm-hmm. because she is such a strong sense of her own uh interests as a writer and her own demands as a writer mm-hmm. but also the audience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she's she's looks at things simultaneously at once and so like I, I part of that is like, yeah, bring her into the Marvel retreat, not for any PR purposes, right? But because I, she would, she would probably be great there to be like, I'm not feeling that idea, or that's a great idea, or whatever. So, uh, which is which is what it sounds like what she was doing, but more from a sense of no, the readers aren't going to buy that because of blank, or wait, the readers are going to think blank a blank, or no, it strikes me that that's just another. I'm just asking for a bit more embellishment, just because it sounds it sounds fascinating, and also kind of how did, did was it free form or did each person take an idea sort of like well well they're all writing or well they're all writing separate books I see uh so there's there's four series and one and I think this has been announced mm-hmm. uh there's an Aliens versus Predator series there's an Alien series there's a Prometheus series there's a Predator series and then there's a wrap up book uh huh. So they're miniseries then in that They're mini series, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh and Kelly Sue's writing the wrap up. Hmm. Okay. And so a lot of it was like here's where we here's the grand it was like they went around the table. Here's here's the grand scale. Mm-hmm. Like this is what we talked about for this is where I am right now in writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um this is what I, I this is where where I'm going. Uh and the books are interconnected, I should say that. So there was also a lot of, like, I am doing this thing. Is that screwing up anyone else's book? Right. Or in order for me to do this, you have to do this. Mm-hmm. And is everyone okay with that kind of thing? And is everyone okay with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also, so Kelly Sue is writing the final book. Right. So she is the horrific task, from my point of view, of bringing all of this together. Right. And writing something that 
pays off four earlier miniseries, but right. also stands alone on its own. Wow. So, which sort of makes sense in a way that she is ultra focused on sort of how this stuff is going to land and how she's going to be able to pull it off. Cause in it, cause in essence, she, it's, she, she really is, she has to be totally focused on, on where everyone else is going because that's where she's ending up. So she has yes. to make sure she both understands it, can land it and, and you know, and or land, land it, yeah, land it in a satisfying way. Yeah. And so it's, so it was really interesting because she was looking at things from the, where does this leave me as a writer? Mm-hmm. But also what will the readers be expecting at this point? Right. And what will the readers want? Right. You know, which is, which, which is which the was, difficulty. Like how do yeah, you give them which, what which they really want without, without giving them what they expect? Yes. Right. Uh, or even not even what they want. How do you give the readers a sense of satisfaction without giving them what they want or what they expect? Right. Right. You know, and so, the, but what was interesting was seeing, so she would, she would express this, mm-hmm. you know, this sounds like blah, but really we should be doing blah, or this sounds like blah, but we have to do blah. Um, and then that would reverberate back to the people doing the individual books. Mm-hmm. That they'd be like, well, you know, I can then do this, or, oh, I hadn't thought about that, then maybe I should do this instead. And it was fascinating seeing uh, if you think of it as a linear line of story, mm-hmm. seeing it just bounce back continually, right, right, and yeah, so around, it, it was, it was, it was great. It was really interesting, fascinating for me seeing the way that all the different writers approach story. Mm-hmm. So all of them, like I said, had to give a, you know, this is what's going on in my book, essentially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just hearing the different ways they all talked about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, I now want every writer I know to do this hmm. because they're not, I don't even think they're aware they're doing it, mm-hmm. but, uh, and I'll name no names, but some, like one writer was told a story and it was like someone telling you a story. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. This happens and this happens and this happens. And it's really funny because this happens. Mm-hmm. Another writer is very focused on plot and scene and, and narrative as a puzzle. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. happens because it sets up this later. This happens, which pays off this from before, right. you know, and that, uh, and yet another writer totally looked at it as a series of images. Mm. So you tell a story and he'd be like, and that'd be great because it'll look like this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and then this happens and he's, he's, it's so visual mm-hmm. and, and he's, he's got all the plot there. Mm-hmm. All his mechanics are sound, but he's clearly thinking of it in terms of visuals. Right. Right. Uh, and so, you know, seeing all that sort of thing mm-hmm. was just so fascinating to me because they were all doing the same thing and they're all working on the same thing. Right. But their approaches were so different and so complementary because then you have, you know, writer A being like, well, this happens. And writer B goes, but how does that pay off later? Mm-hmm. Whereas writer C is going, well, but then you could, it could look like this. Right. You know, and I, I, you know, if you did this, then it'll look like this on the page, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it, it was, it was great for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also had, uh, again, I, I, part of me is like, I know a lot of this is out there, but I don't know how much is out there. They had an artist there whose job was essentially not to visualize what was going on, but he has, he's basically created a shared visual language for them all to talk in. 
so that if they talk about a location, they all have an idea of what that location is like. Interesting. Right. Uh, and so he's there, and so you have the, the, you know, a writer will be like, and then blah, blah, blah happens. And he'll be like, well, yeah, but that can't happen. <laughs> and then he'll be like, why not? And he'll be like, well, if you look at, and he's got, you know, maps and shit. Right. And he's like, well, you know, you can't, they can't go from there to there. Mm-hmm. Or they can't be there. Mm-hmm. Because this other thing has happened, which means they can't even get there. Right. And it's, yeah, it's, it was fascinating. It was, it was an, an, an entirely enjoyable evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way that I wouldn't have expected it to be enjoyable, I guess. Because mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was business. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, right. they're getting shit done. Right. But as an outsider, I was just, you know. Sure. For a policy wonk like you, or policy, a uh, craft wonk. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, entirely. Like, as mm-hmm. for someone who's like, I'm fascinated by process. Right. I was in seventh fucking heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really was. And part of me was like, I want to go to all the retreats now. <laughs> right. I don't care what NDAs I have to sign. I just want to go to the retreats. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that would be, I'm sure that would be fascinating. And I'm sure it would be kind of a great mix of, um, I don't know, both, uh, like, very in, entertaining and gratifying to participate in it, not just to watch it, but I can also sense where there's ways in which it would be frustrating. Um, you know, Fr- I, frustrating yeah. as a as an observer or as uh, a no, no. I think as a participant, like the 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 big appeal of it in a way is like, oh, you know, depending on how well you work with others, and I'm sure the people who ended up there were specifically dis- you know picked for. You know, their ability, I think, to, to assemble things. Say nothing of, you know, just sort of the collaborative nature of, of comics anyway. Um, but I, I, I also think that there's, there's that idea of like, oh, somebody just had like the most beautiful idea that got killed by an ugly fact, you know, or that you, but you know. But is that not the nature of comics? I mean, the, the Marv Wolfman line comes to mind that, uh, comics continuity means that your most successful writer is always it's hamstrung by your your weakest writer. Right. And it's it's that very thing. I mean, anyone who works for Marvel or DC or any of these fictional shared universes, mm-hmm. you you could have the greatest idea and there is a large possibility that it's not going to go anywhere because of, you know... Well, but, but right, at least right it gets out or, there. You know what I mean? Like, if you get an idea out there and then it just dies a dog's death, that's always frustrating. But it's no, but like I, when I guess, somebody I guess has. what I mean is, like, I, I guess what I mean is, think of all the things that wouldn't get out there. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause you're, say you're Jonathan Hickman and you're writing Avengers. Right. And you're like, I've got this great idea for my Avengers thing, and all I need to happen is I need to borrow a beast for a bit longer from the X-Men books, and he'll have sex with Thanos, and Thanos will then, you know, whatever, will then have a new understanding of the universe, and that lead to the anti-Thanos, and blah, 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 and he's like, I've got my new seven-year plan for the Avengers books right here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then whoever's editing the X-Men books these days is like, you can't have beast. Right. Right. Exactly. And there's part of me that I know that in order to be a professional, you're like, oh, okay. So anyway, Thanos is having sex with Dazzler, you know, or whatever it is that you do or it all gets thrown away. or <laughs> You go for another X-Men character? Really? Sure. <laughs> they can't use them all, damn it. Plus, 
I'm sorry. There's there's a Dazzler and the Beast thing that is going to pay off there. I think that you're like, you know what I mean? Like you're like, oh sure, I won't get the Beast, but if I get Dazzler, I'm gonna get the Beast. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you gotta play the game, Grime. You gotta play the game. That's is all is that your plan? You're gonna be like, listen, I'm gonna say I went wrong, but really, I fucking want Cloak and Dagger. Let me tell you, I I've I've done a few of these before in my time. Admittedly, with uh, only stuffed animals, but I always come out on top. I inevitably, they're like, "Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even mean to give up that character," and I'm like, "Yep, that's it. Batman is mine now, and he is going to be, you know, the new head of the Powerpuff Girls." And there is nothing Mister Horse can say about it. Not a thing. <laughs> so actually, uh, that <clears throat> makes me feel I'm, like I'm speaking of Mister Horse. Uh, <laughs> I thought it would be fun to talk about Batman Eternal, which is – I don't know if you read the first two issues or none of the I issues. Have. Or, I, okay. I have read for the first two issues, yeah. So here we have – here we have the – that in action, you know, in extremis. In, you know, you've got – this is the Batman Weekly book with story and script by Scott Snyder and James Tinian Four, but with a list of three consulting writers plus – you know, your editor and your group editor. Um, what do you think? Uh, I liked it much more than I was expecting to. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Right. And in large part, because I think I really like Jason Fabok's art. Mm. And I feel weirdly surprised by that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because I remember when Jason Fabric first showed up in DC Books, I was like, he's fucking David Finch Light. What the hell? And by the time you get to Eternal, he's Gary Frank Light now. Yeah, he's he is. He's really worked which, his way up the lights. Mm-hmm. It, it's exactly. <laughs> Soon enough, he'll be, God knows, Ivan Rice Light. Fry, Frank Quitely Light. You know, I mean, <laughs> who knows? Dare, uh, to, dare to dream among the, the light pantheon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's... it's uh, it's a strong start for a weekly book. When mm-hmm. I found out, it was this is the weirdest thing. So I thought it was fifty-two issues. I thought it was a weekly book for a year. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Is it not? And then someone pointed out that Scott Snyder's going around going like it could even be sixty issues or more. Part of me was like, oh Jesus, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm on board for this after all. Oh, interesting. I, and it's eight mm-hmm. issues more. God knows why. That like I was like more than a year. I I don't know. Well, I think part of it is it yeah. suggested that. Uh, like the idea of a year-long miniseries mm-hmm. suggests that there's a plan. And saying it could be six issues or more suggests that that plan is like it's not it's it's a lost type plan. Do you know what I mean? Where you're like, mm. well, well, we'll see where we go. And part of me's like, oh no. I I see that, but I don't necessarily feel like that's the case. I mean, to me, what I think is to me it, that almost feels like a good sign to me. Because I think that that means, you know, one of the very – if you look at the contrast between um, DC's 52 and DC's countdown to Final Crisis, um, it's – They're exactly the same book in terms of (laughs) Jeff. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Come on. They're exactly – 
that bit at the end of Countdown where you like Mary Marvel's like, okay, so I've gone evil twice, but now I'm over being evil. And then Darkseid just shows up at her house and he's like, do you want to be evil? And she goes, okay, that, that was characterization, but <laughs> you can't believe. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's the, that's the weird thing is, is that, um, I, I honestly feel like maybe if this gets done at sort of a steady stream, but like, that people will get used to it. But as a, as a general rule of thumb, there's not a lot of people in the American side of the industry that have a lot of experience with weekly comics. And frankly, the Brits are used to dealing with weekly comics, you know, kind of at a much more, you know, sensible portions, you know? Um, but I, I think that it, to me, it makes sense that 50, you started out with all this stuff for 52. And frankly, by the end, they got to 52. They did need, close to 60 issues. You know what I mean? Because what happened was they just had to take all that other stuff that they, the mandates that they ended up sort of growing beyond and not caring about ended up being jammed into, you know, those miniseries or one shots or whatever, you know, the world war three crap. And uh, so to me, I honestly feel for someone to step in and say like, yeah, we made sure that we had, you know, 52 issues of material, it means that it grew organically and now they're like, shit, okay, maybe it's going to be more as opposed to, again, the countdown on infinite crisis countdown to final crisis where it was like, oh, we have this point to hit. Oh, we hit it in like week three. What do we do now? Uh, can we hit it again? Can we, how about we hold off for four weeks and then hit it again? Well, but what do we do up to that point? It's like, uh, oh, well, we have to, we can use the backbone of everything that's happening in the DC universe. Unfortunately, we don't we know what that is anymore. Off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We can't pay anything off. And frankly, we don't know what the setups are anymore because we're now two months ahead of everyone else. So, reading the, uh, rereading Countdown to Final Crisis, as, God, as I have done. Shit, man. That's the scariest uh, phrase ever. Re, you re no, it's, oh, it's, it's hmm. amazing. It's amazing. I have to admit, I would love to get it from the... They, yeah. yeah, I got it from the library, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, where there's just points where, like, they clearly have no idea what they're doing. Right. Have no idea where they're going, right. apart from, like, the big final thing, which, even though the script for Final Crisis had been finished, they clearly didn't read. Right. Like, editorial was, like, probably read it more like, okay, so we need this and this to happen. They're like, we know how to do that. Is there anything we need to do in particular? And they're like, ah, it'll be fine. Right. And they came up with a version that is so wildly off base with what happens in Final Crisis. Yes. Um, but it's amazing the number of things they allude to mm -hmm. that I, who read a metric shit ton of DC at the time, mm -hmm. have no idea what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, what? just none. Uh, everything from Salvation Run, like, because there's all the, all the supervillains are, are being kidnapped. And, and being sent to an alien planet. And that just is just dropped. Mm -hmm. Presumably because Salvation Run launched. <laughs> but there's no attempt to pay back. Right. Uh, and so the uh, it's... God, who was it? Trickster and the Pied Piper, maybe? Mm -hmm. Who were the, the the villains on the run? Mm -hmm. um, they go on the run, and all the other villains are being kidnapped, and so they're on the run, and... One of them dies, and I honestly can't remember which one. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think it's the trickster that dies. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, and then they end up in Apocalypse purely because mm -hmm. that's where the story goes. 
Right. Like, there's no reason. And they try and justify it. They're like, yes, I kidnapped you to Apocalypse because you have special, you know, powers. Sure. That's, yeah. that's why. <laughs> and it, but you're reading that and you're like, whoever wrote this must have just been like, please just give me, a, just give me some reason to do it. Mm-hmm. Just, just for the love of God, try and make this make sense because I can't. Right. Like, I'm doing my best and this is beyond me. Yeah. Well, and there, there is, I think there is something to be said. One of the things that I find very fascinating about Batman Eternal, and I know that John Lehman leaves relatively early on, is the guys that are writing it are, I mean, because I think one of the strengths of 52 were you had a lot, a lot of writing experience. Yes. In those writers by the time 52. So they had a lot of tricks in their toolbox. And there were, I mean, they had good cheats. They had bad cheats. They had stuff where they clearly didn't know where they were going. And then they pulled something out, you know, just out of their ass. Um, And I always thought that part of the problem, at least one of the problems with Countdown is you had uh, the writers there were, I I felt comparatively relatively inexperienced, but the same could be said for the Batman Eternal team. You know, it's um, it's true. I mean, you've you've got James Tynan uh, fourth, mm-hmm. you've got Ray Fox, and you've got Tim Seeley, who have varying degrees of experience on mm-hmm. indie books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely in terms of working. At DC or Marvel. Actually, I don't think any of them have worked at Marvel. Maybe Tim Seeley. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of working in this sort of book, mm-hmm. are very new. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I am... I know. For, for all his name, you have to wonder how much Scott Snyder is actually involved in this. Well, it, at least for me, based on the first two issues... I... He seems he seems like a very strong influence. I think it's going really? to be interesting I, as the time goes on. I didn't get on. a lot of Scott Snyder in it. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I very much felt the whole like um we're we're opening with Commissioner Gordon and then shit goes you know, it's kind of like everything should be happening one way, but it's all falling apart because somebody's like rig the game behind the scenes. I'm like that seems all each each piece of that seems very very um, Scott Snydery to me. But no uh, one has talked about their father yet. <laughs> well, you got you got to save something here, you know. But you don't I, remember there was a period where Scott Snyderbrooks always started off with someone being like, "My father used to say to me." Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you know, you know, the thing that is a motherfucker that I just realized because three weeks ago. Uh, inspired by my uh, horrifying admission, which listeners will recall, that I actually loved uh, Tony Daniels' Batman. <laughs> I, yes. I was like, oh, hold on, hold on, just one second. I've got to reach over and grab this book. One second. Oh, man, there's, it, there's a prop. It's so funny. It's it's so funny. I actually didn't put it in the pile of comics because I'm like, there's no way I'm going to fucking talk about this. But oh, I but you are. Good job, Jeff. Checked out from the library because I saw it there. The Batman: The Dark Knight Golden Dawn Deluxe Edition 
written and drawn by David Finch. And it's not like the the New Fifty Two or the the first one he did. Yeah, I, it is the. I well, I mean, who can tell what the New Fifty Two? But yes, it is. Well, it, it will say New Fifty Two in the front if it's New Fifty Two picture. Oh, will it? Uh, then, yeah. uh, I Well, there's a sticker over the DC thing. I can't. It's it's Batman the Dark Knight one through five, Batman the Return number one, and Superman Batman seventy five. Yeah, it's copyright two thousand ten two thousand eleven, so it's pre yeah, New fifty two. New fifty two, yeah. Right. So it has come to think of it, it's got like it has a lot of stuff that ends up in Batman Eternal, the first couple of issues, in a way. I mean it's I mean in the sidelines. There's all this in other words, Commissioner Gordon is in danger of losing his job. Uh, Jason Bard pops up out of nowhere. There's strange mystical menaces that are in, you know, basically in the background to influence things. Um, so it's that is kind of a very. So I'm kind of like once you said it's like David Finch Light, I'm like holy shit. Like it's it's You're not like, just David it Finch really light. It's David Finch. It's light. Like, yeah, exactly. It's it's David Finch the Dark Knight, you know, light. Um and let me tell you, I the great thing about reading these issues is it totally makes me appreciate much, Tony Daniel so much more willing to stand up for Tony Daniel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like my my love of like Well like he's, no, he's no David Finch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. David Finch is, is no Tony Daniel. Man, you know, I mean, his stuff is like, it's, it, I was impressed. I really was impressed. It was like Finch is overwhelmed and really out of his element in a way that, that Daniel admittedly seemed to get, get over very quickly. I mean, he wasn't on Detective Comics for a long time and it turns into, I mean, it's a mess. It's nowhere near the level of, of just of messiness. Yeah, it's tough because I want to say slop, but you know it really. Oh, no, I, I I remember reading uh, the Finch uh, Dark Knight when it started. I I think I might have read that collection as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's actually literally difficult to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's just it's at times utterly nonsensical. Yeah, that that you're you're straining to even like understand what is happening on the page never mind what's in the issue yes exactly yeah i mean there's there's stuff where i'm like it's amazing that david finch as an artist is not telling the story that david finch the artist david finch the writer is telling a story that david finch the artist is flummoxed by there's like a scene where Commissioner Gordon and uh, Detective Bullock are eating lunch in like a, a railroad car diner. And the dude who's gunning for Commissioner Gordon's job shows up and taunts him. And then they're yelling at one another and they get, you know, he gets ordered out of the railroad car. He's like, get him out of my sight. You know, and the two police guys like drag the lieutenant, you know, the gloating lieutenant off. And it's like Finch was like, oh, yeah, this scene. And it's like. And then Finch, the artist, was like, fuck you, man. Like, how am I supposed to... This makes no sense. There's maybe six people in here. So, like, the spatial relationships, like, change, like, accordions. It's like, 
everyone's like on top of each other and then they have to be halfway across the room and then the railroad car which shows people like walking basically side by side to get through each other suddenly has to have four people standing side by side in it for the proper dramatic confrontation and so what you're saying is it's the 1990s image comics all over again it it really is i mean honestly probably because you get the demon and ragman and nine million nonsensical mystical creatures. It's to me, it was, it was like David Finch's love letter to Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, you know, like much more so than I would have thought. Also, I have to say there's one or two shots where he draws Batman looking like a badass. And interestingly enough, the reason why I thought it was the new 52 is he insists on, um, drawing Batman with sort of a, a, a flashlight, you know, he's got like a bat glowing bat signal on his chest, but he's also got like weirdo reinforced things on his joints and wrist. And he's got like a, a little, um, gauntlet of, uh, of gadgets that he can like shoot off the back of his, you know, wrist armor. I'm like, okay, so it's very new 52 E in the Batman sort of half cyborgy kind of thing. But it's great. There's shots where he draws Batman and he's trying to draw him with like gritted teeth, you know, so it's like this dark silhouette and it just looks like Batman has a comically large overbite. It is the best. He Batman actually looks like the rabbit from Matt Groening's Life in Hell and it is kind of delightful in those scenes where he's menacing and his teeth are sticking out. Like, it looks like he's holding, like, a, a razor-bladed Frisbee in his mouth. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. So, here's here's where my mind is at, Jeff. Yes. I was talking about this. makes me want to ask, did you read Joe Keating's Shutter? Oh, shit. I did read Joe Keating's Shutter. How the fuck did I... I guess that was out last week, right? Is that yeah, not yeah. In this pile of... Yeah. yeah, that should be in this pile of books, and it is not. I did he, read it. Here's why mm-hmm. I'm asking. I read, uh, thanks to Marvel Unlimited, Joe Keating's Morbius, The Living Vampire. Oh, shit. I've been meaning to read that. Which is insanely image to me. Mm-hmm. Feels very, very, very image comics-esque. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so did Shutter in a way. Mm. Shutter, Shutter feels very diluted image mm-hmm. because the genre is different. Right. But there's uh, an energy and enthusiasm that for me feels out of place with the genre in shutter mm, yeah. um but it's one that takes uh i don't want to say a narrative shortcut mm-hmm. but definitely i feel like you've got to buy into a lot in order to get the most out of the story mm, mm-hmm. uh Sh- shutter shutter weirdly enough made me feel very old hmm <laughs> That's funny. I kind of had a weird. Well, tell me more. Tell me more. Uh, well, it just it felt. It made me feel old in the same way that Image Comics made me feel old, mm. because there's a sense of. It really is. It genuinely is youthful energy and enthusiasm that, in many ways, makes up for the uh, the functional shortcomings of the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also makes me feel very ill because I'm aware of the shortcomings of the story. Mm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so right. there, there's, there's a, the, especially the 
latter half of the first issue of Shutter, mm-hmm. uh, where the character is, you, it jumps forward 20 years from the opening scene, and the character is in a, a fantastic world, and there's a lot of trying to get over that she's jaded and she's hurt and she's shut off as a result of things that have happened. Right. And then a dramatic confrontation happens. Yeah. Uh, but the way in which all of those scenes happen, mm-hmm. um, I don't recognize the emotion in all of them. Or I do, but I recognize the emotion at a remove. Yeah. Uh, it, it feels like it's being done by someone who has read of or seen those emotions as opposed to experienced them. Um, and so there's, there's a, a, an insincerity to it. Mm-hmm. And, and that insincerity feels like I can imagine it totally working for, for another audience. Right. Does that make sense? Like, in the same way, like, Image Comics didn't work for me. And by Image Comics, I mean, like, the, the early, the first Image Comics. Right. Didn't work for me because it was at once uh, lifting from lots of familiar things, but also uh, rejecting a lot of the uh, professionalism and craftsmanship. Right. Of those things, mm-hmm. as old-fashioned, and was like, fuck you, we're doing it our way, which is great if you're a part of that generation. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it genuinely is, <clears throat> I'm not even being sarcastic. Right. Like, I, I think if you're you're the right age and you're the right audience, you get that, and you're like, this is great. It's punk again. Like, this is great. I, I'm totally in tune with this. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. I'm with you all the way. I, I am. I, weirdly enough, I think Captain Marvel, Kelsey's Captain Marvel, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Where if you are aligned with it uh, from your, not even emotional point of view, but your, uh, help me out here, Jeff. My, my language is failing. Mm-hmm. Uh, your ideological point of view. That's what uh, I'm trying to say. Got it. Okay. If you're, if you're in tune with the, the, ideolo- the ideology right. of, of Captain Marvel or Image or Shutter. Mm-hmm. That you're like, yes, go. Or a great example of this is earlier today, I was having an argument, not even an argument. I was talking to people on Twitter about Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I dare to make the point that I didn't think Pacific Rim was that great a movie. And people were like, no, fuck you. Right. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. Me, like Pacific Rim is a, a visually spectacular movie that has incredibly serious problems in writing. Like oh, yeah. it is paced like shit. It, right. it it is at least an hour too long. Like the narrative arcs don't make sense. They double back in each other. There's not enough emotional payoff. The majority of the arcs are the same arc, which is I lost someone because a big monster attacked. I'll make them pay and then be whole. Right. It's it's such a flawed film. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone said, I know it's not perfect, but like I love it so much. Right, right. And, I, and it's that thing. It's the you 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 get it. Like right. you get it on some level that yeah. is that goes beyond the actual quality of it, or the, or the like. There's some intangible thing that you get, yeah. And you're like, I will forgive this so many sins. Like I am on board with this. I am there. Yeah, there, can... there. Yeah, exactly. You're there's a point where essentially you are so in love with the baby that you are not going to throw out any of the bathwater. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and I. And, mm-hmm. and I think that allows for a lot of 
Yeah, it's it, absolution. It, 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 it lies, allows it, the fans yeah, to it, basically it for mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes, yeah. or, or not even mistakes, uh, a lot of flaws that others see. So, for example, Shutter has such a spectacular opening sequence. The yeah. the 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 character when she is seven year old on the moon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I loved, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is mm-hmm. great!" Like it's it's just ridiculous enough, mm-hmm. but there's an emotional connection. I'm on board with this, and then as soon as it's like, and now it's twenty years later, right. and this shit has happened, and we're kind of hinting at it, and we're kind of not. Right. That well, I was just like, "You've lost me!" Like you've lost me. I was I was so there. Like the first five pages, I was so there. Yeah, and now I'm not, and I'm. Right. I, Maybe it's the opposite of what I'm talking about. Maybe them losing me gave me such a, a negative reaction that I'm, I'm focusing on. The floor. Well, I, okay, actually, so this is this is going to be. We'll see if we tie these things together because a, I'll be honest. It was like you mentioned Shutter. I'm like, oh right, I read it, and I started digging through my books, and I'm like, fuck, I'm not. I don't have it. I'm not going to be able to even. Like, I just had that classic moment of like, no, I read that last week. I have no fucking memory of it whatsoever. What I do remember, and this may or may not work, is, and I feel, and I think that this is sort of a common problem. I Interestingly enough, I, well, we'll see. Essentially, the idea is, is that there's the stuff that you loved, but the stuff that you, but it, it was pointed at in the direction or the goal of something that you find completely trite, you know, um, my, by, by pointed in the goal of, you mean the latter section that it yes. is providing a structure for something that didn't work for me. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so in, in that sense, I mean, there's part of it where people are like, Oh yeah, God, I, I, I love this. Love this section. I love that section. The whole thing just really speaks and works for me. Um, you know, I felt that the my problem with Shutter is is that for the most part it felt like a story. It was the. It, it was a little bit of like the reinvention of the wheel. It's like all the all the clever stuff that that charmed you that I actually quite liked that sort of bespeaks to. I feel like Kidding's interest in um, Euro comics and a, a sort of a larger sense of background wonder, I suppose, um, ends up being utilized in the service of what feels like um, Image Comics 101. Or rather, Image Comics 401. I'm like... Ah, uh, you know, I feel like the idea of, oh, here's a person who, you know, has to find and make their place in the world, and they're very ambivalent about their special lineage, but it turns out that they're, you know, father, mother, but sibling. But the rest of the world isn't ambivalent about their lineage, Jeff. Right, is, is right, exactly. It's like, oh, but you're wonderful and special and you're great. I don't know. I just want to do blank and blank on my blank you know for blank and then all of a sudden um the evil sibling father mother pops up and i'm just kind of like it i feel like it's invincible i feel like there was a huge chunk of it that's like i feel like joe 
You just blew my mind. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I it's totally hell yeah. I didn't realize the hell yeah thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just feels like a, a gender swapped hell yeah in such a huge way to me. Um, and part of me is like, well, it got there much, much faster, which I guess is great. But at the same time, I'm just, I really had this thing of like, this doesn't, this, you move this into a position where this is not especially interesting to me. You know, yeah, Pacific. It's true. The, the, the main plot, the, mm-hmm. the idea uh, of Kate is going to find some form of redemption mm-hmm. uh, is far less interesting to me than the more optimistic uh, world that she is living in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and there, I think there are times where that, well, I don't know. I, I think there's, I, I, I think that it sort of, it makes sense as a story, but it is, it's like, okay, so clearly it's not, you know, it's a little bit about growing up and accepting responsibility and not being jaded and blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of all that stuff that I feel like if you locked you and me in separate rooms and told, you know, had us type out what we thought the emotional beats were going to be like our beats are going to look really similar to one another. And I I can't help but suspect it's going to look very similar to what Joe's where his script is going. And it's just kind of like, huh, you know, like, it's just, it's one of those, like there's yeoman efforts, you know, there's stuff where it's like, and (laughs) Let me tell you, I certainly have written enough material where people are like, hi, so you didn't want to write any of the interesting stuff, huh? You know, and it it was kind of like, oh, but I am I thought I was. This is, don't you see? This is amazing. This person thinks they're doing this, but they're really sacrificing that. You know, it's that you get so lured into the idea of like, oh, my God, I finally get to tell a story. Like, I get to tell this story, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. that story is so totally cliche, but when you're a new creator, you're fresh in the... Like, it doesn't feel cliche because you are having the unique experience of creating it, you know? And I mm-hmm. think that that is, that is part of the reason why there's a lot of work that's kind of... Eh, you know, it's like, eh, you got to support it and hopefully it will go somewhere else or end up, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> wait, wait, what's fascinating to me is you're, I, so you're right. You're everything you're saying is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you're talking, I'm thinking a couple of things. Mm-hmm. One is I'd love to read the shutter story that takes place after this arc. Yes, exactly. I yeah. want to read what happens to Kate when she is, when she has come to terms with her stuff. Mm-hmm. And the thought I had after that was, that's where you start the series and you tell the series later when you have some emotional investment in Kate. Yes. And I think, well, if, if, it you, depends. if you want no, 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 to no, no, tell no. the story. Right. I think this is where I think then, we start hitting problems in that I totally agree with you. And that is the complete, um, that to me is the classic comic book way to look at it. And it, it is so what we don't get. I mean, Part of the reason why I feel like Mark Wade's Daredevil shocked, you know, electrified a bunch of jaded comic book readers is he went, he skipped over all that, like, oh, I'm crawling my way back to learn to love life yeah. again, you yeah. know? He, he started out the, okay, this is my attitude now, and right. actually let other characters be the reader. Yeah, and and it was it was such a ridiculous relief. It was, and it really is. There's there's a, there's there is a lot of reasons 
to to change up stories and there are ways to keep things sort of brisk and moving. I think what what can be problematic of course is because mm, writing for the trade slash keeping one one thousandth of your eyelid on the Hollywood horizon and just the way that so much of the me- we consume so much of the media so much of the media that we consume is told in so so similarly the same way that I feel like we very rapidly get in situations where where yeah you're right like I will I want to read that next arc too but I can also see why comic books 20 or 30 years ago would have started with the second arc and worked their way back and now most comic books you know unless it's Mark Wade are not going to do that you know and and that it it is it's very it is it's frustrating you know it's interesting because i feel this is why i'm kicking myself i did not read the first issue of flash gordon although i bought it and it and lumberjanes are sitting on my drastically unread pile that i'm kicking myself you, you, over yeah you should fix that jeff because well, i think i think i think you'd find more to them but did you or s- they did with shutter yeah, but well, and this is I guess this is my question cuz did you see the stuff where Jeff Parker was asking on Twitter about basically, well, I think you did cuz at one point you replied, basically oh, of what people expect from a first issue? What do people expect from a first issue? Exactly. You know, because it seemed but, like he had gotten feedback that his first issue of Flash Gordon did not provide a Yeah, it it did not start the way that people wanted. Exactly. But I mean, here's the thing: Does shut, Shutter start the way that people want? I mean, I guess it starts at the beginning of the story, quote unquote. Right. But like, there's there's stuff that I mean, we were talking before about stuff that just doesn't land. Mm-hmm. The last page cliffhanger of Shutter does not land, and it doesn't land for a really, really obvious reason. And it's a reason that we have spoken about before with Marvel books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but to be fair, like DC books and lots of image books do exactly the same thing, which is is a reveal that only works if you know the universe. Right. And in the first issue, you don't know the universe. And so the last page reveal for Shutter is, she has siblings! Right. You met this character 20 pages ago. Yeah. You've had no input about her family, apart from the fact that she has a father who is dead. Right. So the idea that she has siblings isn't even a surprise, because right. you hadn't thought about it. There is right. nothing to indicate she doesn't have siblings. Right, 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 right. And so, like, on a basic level, like, if that's your last page, like, full page splash reveal. Right. Does it not demand that somewhere else in that issue you have someone comment on, like, a sibling issue? Well, or, or, uh, how do I put well, it? First of all, I, you don't, yeah. I thought you don't have it as your last page reveal. Yes. I mean, that's, I think that's your big problem. The, I kind of get it because I feel like Keating was setting up something very st- not especially subtle, but he's very much talking about a familial line all the way through the book, you know? So it's like that last page reveal is like, okay, so she has this. She has, she's a a legacy that she is running away from. Right. Exactly. And the idea that there is another sibling, you know, that is presumably a badass. like on the one hand, it's like, okay, it ties into this other stuff, it doesn't especially twist it well, and frankly, it tends to undercut the 
what we it's supposed to upend what we know our dramatic expectations, but instead it just undercuts them because it's like, oh well, great, maybe that person can have Shutter's job now. You know what I mean? Like, there's just kind of a thing of like, oh, okay, well, so she's kind of an and again, it's just that idea of like, uh, uh, again with the hell yeah, again with the invincible stuff of the idea of like, oh, okay, well, so our hero is going to have to be our hero because our hero the only other alternatives to our hero are going to be so much worse, you know? And I kind of, I have to say, I, that's another thing that in a very superhero-y way does not resonate with me is the, you know, kind of a very meh form of modern heroism, which is like, uh, I, the reluctant hero by, by default of, well, I'm not an other I'm not an utter turd and utter turds are the only other choice you have left. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, really? Well, then maybe I just don't want to read about a choice between lesser turds and greater turds. Maybe that's just not interesting to me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Interestingly enough, to bring this back to the Avengers and my obsession with A, the letters page, and B, people of note who have appeared in letters pages, um... I am somewhat sure. Let me see if I can find out here. Uh, da, 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 early I, don't, I really life. don't know where you're going after this. You're like, talking of turds and the Avengers letters page. There was, I think it's an issue 98 or 99. I took a screenshot of it where there is a letter chastising Roy Thomas for essentially making Hawkeye a dull, unheroic character. And it is written by, interestingly enough, Stephen R. Donaldson, who I believe is the fantasy author who goes on to write the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant. I'm not entirely sure, but it's like, you know, the exact same name. And I know that Stephen R. Donaldson apparently went to Kent State University uh, in Ohio, and this letter is from Kent, Ohio. So... Uh, let me see if I if I find the parts that I thought were kind of interesting. Um, he's he's like, uh, he, so far most of the characters and situations in your comic show an admirable understanding on your part of one of the crucial parts of superheroes. They must be both unique and common. That is, they must need be repetitions of other superheroes, but they must have enough average humanity to be sympathetic characters, characters with whom readers can identify. Uh, I should say that in the area of uniqueness, you've not been remiss. Whatever else has happened to Marvel, you've not lost your ability to come up with new ideas, imaginative characters, interesting situations. Where you break down is what you do with those uh, ideas, characters, and situations. I feel that you're attacking the problem of making your heroes believable in a way that is different from and inferior to the way you've attacked the problem in the past. And so he talks about how the old... Goliath was a lousy character, but you saw him, you know, you ha- he had epic struggles. And that basically the new Goliath is a character that um, basically only gets like three panels to be a hero. Or, you know, six frames on two-thirds of a page. And most of the other time he's being defeated easily or he's being made a fool of. Now, I'm kind of like, I was, I'm especially for someone who knows that the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant 
you know, start off with basically a leper who becomes a wizard who is also a rapist, uh, is aware that Stephen Donaldson likes his heroes, is okay with having his heroes be morally ambiguous, but he has a serious problem with them being um, basically appeared portrayed as weak on the page. I kind of feel like I've reached the point in my life where I'm exactly the opposite, where I'm okay with characters basically being weak on the page and struggling. Like, I don't really need a heroic fantasy figure that can be my fantasy of power and strength because I'm in a weak, powerless position. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm much more identified with a character who who basically has that, you know, to bring it back to the Avengers, that thing where, where Rick Jones is talking about like, Oh, the hero, black and white heroism, you know, um, and, and not, and sort of not the shades of gray. Like the idea that you have someone who really does sort of want to be a decent person, not someone who's annoyed that they can't be allowed to be an indifferent person. Yeah. You know? and, and that, that actually, that ties in with Shudder. Because mm-hmm. that 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 seems to be the the where Shutter is going. Right. Shutter Shutter is very, at least on the basis of this first issue, it's very much on the reluctant hero, but in a weird way tries to have it both ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there's definitely a uh, strong implication that deep down there is a believer. Right. Well, of course. Because there is that, and and the, I think there is that way in which it's like, oh, we kind of get to have our various cakes and eat them too, is by the end when you get to the period of redemption. But I just feel like that is, I mean, that's, I mean, fuck, we talk about, oh, yeah, that's basically the Man of Steel movie right there too, isn't it? You know? Like, all of those parts all get laid out. Like, the lineage, I don't want to be it, but my only choice is, ooh, these turds. Okay, I'm going to accept my lineage. <laughs> you know? Oh my god, Man of Steel would have been so much better if that had been the dialogue. <laughs> if that had been the, the <laughs> oh, these turds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, these turds. And so it's like, I'm not a turd! <laughs> you I before am turds. You before turds. I mean, turds. Kind of rhymes. Not the same thing. <laughs> From my world, Zod means turd. Right. It's very awkward. So let me tell you... Well, okay. So let me tell you about, A, my feet of clay moment, because I think it's important to tell you and the listeners, and B, to talk about the most amazing fucking comic that I read this week that had me in tears. Yeah. So, listeners, truth in advertising time. Um, I... Jeff doesn't read comics. I... I can't read. <laughs> I can't read at all. Uh, I ended up at the you, end. You, you yes. paid for Marvel Unlimited. I did. You? I did. I signed up for an entire year of Marvel Unlimited. Oh, you did? You went for the year? I did. Oh, yeah. Sure. Absolutely. It was, okay. It's 70 bucks. I mean, it's so much cheaper, Graham. Did you just do it for a month? I just did it for a month. I was actually thinking about doing it for a year earlier on today. I was yeah. like, because it is so much cheaper. Yeah. It's, it's super cheap. And... It's how do I put? Okay, so there's a few things that I have to get to. I'll try and keep the breast beating short. Basically, the that end of things is I decided that I would give an equal amount 
to the Kirby Museum and to the Hero Initiative. So technically, so wait, so so you spent like seventy dollars on Marvel? Is it actually seventy? Am I, am yeah, just it's sixty nine ninety nine. Okay. I think it's okay. Like 70 so bucks, you yeah. paid seventy, and then you paid another seventy to Kirby, and another seventy to uh, by the I the hero. Yeah. I, that is my intention, yes. I have not okay. done that because I have to actually sort of wait until the you can afford it? paydays. A little bit, a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah. By by next month, those will be paid off, but yes. I so how is your $210 subscription to Marvel Unlimited? It's great, Graham. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saved so much money by yeah. tripling it. Dude. Okay, I know. Okay, so there's no. So that's, there's, that's fine. Okay, right. so you signed up for uh, Marvel. I signed Unlimited. up. Yeah, I signed up for Marvel Unlimited. I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to dump all this other money to what I think are other, you know, uh, ho- hopefully as as a certain amount of form of restitution and penance. And actually, it's going to end up being probably eighty bucks because I'll have to go see Captain America too. I think. Um, so I'm going to have to, so, Hey, more money. Hey, first of all, you don't have to go and see Captain America too. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting because there is enough that is been like, like I've managed, I've tried so hard to escape being spoiled about chunks of it. And I'm not really sure how much is it because thanks to that great agent of shield Diane, I think it's been really, really hard to escape. I have, if you were to ask me what I thought happened in captain America too, it would be very weird, but why are um, you watching agents of shield? I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying what I'm saying is, is everyone discussed captain America too. And it was like, okay, I managed to shield myself from a lot of spoilers there. Not enough, frankly, because a lot of people were like, oh, oh, wait till you see this humorous JPEG, you know, but, um. Oh, God, the, the, yeah, I was going to say it, and then I was like, well, yeah, I wouldn't spoil it for anyone else. But, yeah, the uh, meme that came out afterwards, fascinating. Yeah, very fascinating. And for me, really frustrating, because I'm like, fuck, this thing is, you know, for the circles I run in, fucking everywhere. Um, in fact, I think I actually retweeted a couple of the images before I was like, oh shit, that's part of the fuck. Like I didn't yes, even know. Yeah, I just thought exactly. it was like, I didn't realize it was a joke. And now I've, now I know what it's a reference to you right. fuckers. Right. I just thought that somebody finally made the most hilarious lost in translation joke ever, you know? So <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. I think that really was what fucked me. And then afterwards I was like, oh shit, son of a fuck you people. So <laughs> So I haven't seen it yet. Um, but one of the things, so this is one of the things that is kind of weird for me is, as you know, I spend ridiculous amounts of time purchasing digital comics um, and loading them onto an iPad that I made sure had enough memory to fucking stop a bear. I think it's got more memory than I have. And... And so there's lots of times where it's like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read through my comics, you know, when I've got a spare moment. And interestingly enough, there's that weird, like, oh, like, you know how, like, when you've got, maybe not for you guys per se, I think, but like when you've got the DVDs that you've owned and some of them you haven't even seen, but you still pick up the TV channel and you start flipping like that weird, like, oh, even though I have my favorite comic book right here, I really wish I could just sort of peruse and read something at random that I didn't know, even know was right there. You know, kind of that 
Like I'm digging through a quarter box. Oh, hey, here's this book. So, for example, I read something that I think was, I don't know, what the fuck was it called? It was one of the giant-sized books from the 70s that I actually had, um, which might have been, I don't want to say it was giant-sized superheroes, because I think that's the one that is, um, that's like the Hulk versus the Thing, which I also had. But it's it might be giant-sized, it's not giant sized creatures, is it? Where it's Spider Man versus no, that's Tigra and Werewolf by Night. But it's it's Man Wolf and Morbius versus Spider Man, and it's basically just an extra large issue. I think it is. It's yeah, I was wrong. It's giant sized superheroes with Spider Man. It's drawn by Gil Kane. It's written by Jerry Conway. It takes place. It fits in with the other amazing Spider Man identity stuff. And I read, I just kind of... It sounds like the Ultimate Jeff comic. Exactly! It was like, oh, I have this. I haven't read it in like a million years. I don't even think I have it anymore. It's from, you know, my my golden era of 1974. I'm going to read it. It was delightful, you know? And so part of the... One of the things that's crazily appealing to me about the Marvel Unlimited app is the idea that you browse stuff and you pick up not the comics that you have already bought and curated but the stuff that you never even knew existed that you're like okay what the fuck is that and so as a result of that through scrolling through things i read the stunner that is young men issue 24 are you are you familiar with it uh, I'm not, but I'm guessing it's got to be Golden Age with the title, like, Young Men. Young Men number 24 came out in, I think, 1953, 1954. It, it actually says right here. 1953. Um, Wait, is this like a Captain America in the 50s issue? It is. It is great. Issue The first 23 issues were apparently a war comic. Issue 24 in 1953 is when Stanley and uh, Martin Goldman... Goodman decide to bring back the Human Torch, Captain America and Bucky, and the Submariner. So there's three stories. And what's amazing is they... Okay, well, I'm I'm basically spoiling the most amazing thing about it, which is it goes Human Torch, it goes Captain America, and it goes Submariner. Human Torch, like, there's no credits on any of this stuff. So you're like, it looks like Carl Burgos does the Human Torch first page. But then on the next page, it's clearly not him. Like, because the torch is drawn completely differently. And his origin is completely different. So the thing that's great is, it's the, it is the 1950s reboot of the Marvel Universe by people, uh, you know, like 10 years before the 1963 reboot and by people who clearly paid no attention to what had come before, and so is therefore deeply, deeply hilarious. Like, the Human Torch, according to this revival origin, is an intelligent flame who can turn into a human being. Like, he was born... They get the, like, oh, he's an artificial man, but it literally shows him going, this flame is alive! And it's... And it's... And... The, so it's a very young, I think it's John Romita drawing it, I think, as I recall, like if you do the research online. And it is a like, Torch, where have you been these last few years? He's like, well, I 
had managed to like bust up this one gangster ring and then they managed to like cover me in schmoo that dampened my flames and then they buried me in the desert and I would have been there forever if an atomic bomb hadn't gone off and ended up giving me new powers. You know? Oh my god, everything about that is spectacular. It's not not only what mm-hmm. you just said, but the covered that means schmoo. Oh yes. Well yes, maybe maybe not Te- exactly. Technical term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Spoilers. So many hilarious like it's the human torch. It's the human torch as you've never seen him before, because the people riding his ride <laughs> had, had clearly had never seen him before. Yeah, exactly. Um that is followed by a Captain America so funny I cried. <laughs> I cried. Like you're you're telling me I should read this, aren't you? Oh, you everyone. Everyone has to read Young Men number twenty three or no twenty four from nineteen fifty three. Because in it it's great. The splash page is Captain America it's like one of those like uh three panel splash pages, you know, so big splash at the top, two panels underneath. And it's got Captain America. He's beating the shit out of people, including the Red Skull, who's colored purple. So he's like the purple skull. And it's... Is he gr- still called the Red Skull? He, he is. He is. But... Even though the, he's purple. He, even though he's purple. But it shows Captain America. He's punching all these people. And then the second panel is he's punching the Red Skull in the stomach, saying, Who's letting who have what? And... Bucky, meanwhile, is ducking behind a bunch of gangsters who are ignoring him. Who's, and he says, I got him set up here, Cap. Next panel is Captain America slugging the Red Skull so hard he knocks, he falls back into those other guys who all fall backwards over Bucky. And the first panel on the next page is the Red Skull standing in front of a film projector saying, and that was Captain America. And the thing that's great is the the Red Skull has never radiated such misery and defeat in his entire life. Just the fact that the, that he decided to show to these other dudes that Captain America was so awesome and beat the shit out of him. And he's kind of like, he's like, and that was Captain America. He beat the whole. It's beautiful, and people are like, "Wow, I'm glad that's only a movie." And you say he's dead, Red Skull, and Red Skull says, "Sure, he's dead. If he were alive, do you think I'd dare to start on a scheme like the one I'm working on now?" And the thing that's great is he basically comes up with the world's most generic plan. He's like, "Yeah, just think of it, an international syndicate of crime." You know, (laughs) yeah, no one's ever thought of that before. Thank God you waited. It was the fifties. So the thing that's beautiful is that's hilarious. Then what is hilarious is you cut to Steve Rogers, who is now a professor. And at and what is he as a professor teaching everybody about? That's right, how awesome Captain America was. It is the best. I mean, it oh. makes sense that he's like retelling his own origin for new readers. And of course the origin is like, weird and doesn't look like the way that it was originally established but it is it's awesome it's like meanwhile professor steve rogers tells his class of the history of the most valiant patriot and crime fighter the nation has ever known and i just love the idea that he's like yes kids so in me chapter five there's going to be a quiz on this he goes on and talks about how great he is (laughs) for like a bunch of pages then what's awesome is 
people, you know, some of the kids who leave the class start trash talking Captain America. So Bucky stands up for him and slugs one of these students. And you're like, it's been 12 years. How is Bucky? Like, this is another kid named Bucky, right? No, it's the same Bucky who is not aged at all. Okay. But the thing that is great that to me is when Captain America is recounting all of the amazing things that he has done, the panel that they show is him punching the Red Skull in the stomach. That's the exact same panel drawn from a different angle on the first page. And to me, this is why I laughed until I cried, is apart from the fact that the Red Skull is a completely self-defeated, schlumpy bag of bones. But he, and out of all of World War II, all he and Captain America can remember are that one time that Cap punched the Red Skull <laughs> in the stomach so hard he lost the war, is the best. There's something about it that is just, it's, I don't know, it's like this weird mix of like, like election and venture brothers. And like, it is just, it is the funniest fucking thing. And then the entire episode just goes on to like caps, like, no, I've retired. No, I've retired. And then someone says the red skulls back. And he's like, Oh, all right, I'm pulling over and I'm getting into my costume. And of course, Bucky's like, Oh, that's what I wanted to hear. So they jump in through the window. It's great. They jump in through the window to, to beat up the people and it's and and one of the thugs is like it's Captain America and the Red Skull says C Captain America and totally loses his shit in the next page. It's like he's back from the dead. Stop him! Stop him! It's great. The Captain like never has the Red Skull appeared less menacing in his life. He totally freaks out. He's he really is acting like the monarch in the Venture Brothers after his self-esteem has been crushed. And then after he gets the shit beaten out of him, Steve Rogers is like, well, it looked like we're back. Even though there's only one threat, it's entirely defeated. He's like, well, I got to be back because clearly I enjoy beating the shit out of people so much. That, it, that sounds like the greatest Captain America story. It really that is. It, it is so good. Because... The great thing is seven. I thought I liked Captain America until 75 issues of the Avengers proved to me that I was wrong. <laughs> and now that I love Captain America asshole, I so adored this because I was like, oh, he's just he's a bigger asshole in the 50s. This is great. He's just beating up people who are scared of him now. Um, and then the last story is the Submariner. So you've got, like I said. Captain America, Human Torch, it's not credited. They're done by, like, if you dig along online, uh, I think it's actually a very young Russ Heath, I'm sorry, is doing the Human Torch, and it's a young John Romita who's drawing Captain America. People suspect Stanley's writing him, but clearly Stan did not, yet, you know, he's just sort of like, I love that Captain America, I don't remember what I liked about him. But the Submariner story is written and drawn by Bill Everett. And so... It is in continuity and it's glorious. It's really great. It's it's completely insane, but it's very much like when Namer basically disappeared, like they show him basically getting a you know, they tell his whole story of what happened to him and it makes sense, and then, you know, he sort of gets his medal and goes away, but because Betty Dean calls him back into action because she's you know, basically stumbled across this terrifying situation that involves, I don't know, Venusian robots or whatever. She calls the Submariner and he comes in with a suit and is like, 
It's great seeing you. Let's have some adventures. And it's just like, and it's just, it's really good. After the first, after some of the worst comics that you've ever read. And what's great is because they're terrible comics, but they're also Marvel comics, but they're also a Marvel reboot that's done wrong. It's so fascinating seeing them try and explain where people have been, what's happened, have some concept of continuity and totally fail. And then to have Bill Everett be like, well, this is my character. Of course, I know what's going on and I can't wait to draw him again. And I'm going to make it look beautiful was really, it was kind of inspiring. There's three issues after this, I think that they have on Marvel unlimited that I'm dying to read. We'll see what happens to the rest of them. But I, I just really, I enjoyed it so much not necessarily for all the right reasons, but I really think, Graham, that you and maybe other people with Marvel Unlimited should hunt it up because it's it's. I I am no, I am going to read these because this sounds amazing. I mean, amazing. Also, there are apparently five issues of this. Oh, is it okay? So it's twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. Oh, great. Okay, fantastic. Um, uh, so I, I'm I'm very excited to delve into this, if only because like Captain America sounds like the greatest thing. Oh my god! It may not be. It may just be me. So but I'm so much happy because uh, so much happy. Because, you know, <laughs> me, I'm writer. Uh, I am so much happier uh, mm-hmm. knowing that this is the thing that Englehart then goes out of his way to work into continuity. Yes. Yeah. And one of the things that's interesting is is that the because um, I was looking online, somebody pointed out. Englehart works it in a continuity, but they also make sure that the the stuff that is misdrawn is they keep. So Captain America doesn't have the stripes on the back of his thing. He's got a white ring on the outside of his shield. You know, weird stuff that they're like, we don't remember. And, you know, and Englehart and Basima, I think, end up keeping it all. So it's it's very exciting. It is exciting to read it. And then, of course, the idea is that, you know, for for people with the Marvel Unlimited app, I believe you can just jump over and read those cap issues as well. So, mm. which is spectacular, spectacular. <laughs> I I am very very happy with with all of that. Uh, I've been reading shit ton of Marvel Unlimited this week as well. Uh, oh, really? I but I, of course I go for like the strange stuff. So yes. I've been working my way through Tom DeFalco's uh, MC two or MC squared, whatever it was wow. called, universe. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Do they have, uh, like, a huge chunk of that on there, then? or they, they have much more than you'd think. They've got, like, Avengers Next and Last Man Standing or Last Hero Standing. Wow. Uh, yeah, they've got a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they're, God, what was the other thing I read? Oh, uh, Catherine Immonen's Journey into Mystery. Oh, yeah, I wanted to read that, because basically uh, I'm sort of like, I can go on a Catherine Immonen tear now. Yeah, well, that's just it. I reread her, her Hellcat stuff. Which mm-hmm. is spectacular. Her Herald stuff I didn't reread, but that's also really great. And yeah. I was like, I remember reading an issue of the first issue of Evanin's Journey to Mystery and being really disappointed. I wonder what it's like if I reread it. And I was like, oh, this is great. I have no idea what was wrong with me that time. Right. I can now read the entire series in one sitting. Thank right. you for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is kind of e- an Eminem. Eminem is a, uh, someone should give her much more work. Yeah, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I don't know what she's currently up to these days. Hopefully she'll reappear. Uh, I was going to say, did she pop up in like that Red Sonia special? Or no? uh, I don't think she did. I want to say the only comic work she's done that's work for hire is for Marvel. I think otherwise right. it's just stuff she's done with, with, with her husband. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is but, also um, quite interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, but no, it's oh no, she did a, a Lois Lane story with for DC. Oh, okay, there we go. Right, right, right. I was like, I felt like she'd done something else, and I could be totally confusing that Red Sonia stuff because it was not on my brain. Uh, well, Graham, we did an amazing job talking about a lot of like we really skipped a stone over a lot of things. Um, and then really broke down Shutter One and looked at it from an, um, an interesting uh, number of angles. So you're welcome, Comic Book Internet. Um, is- yeah, please, please, please don't hate us for whatever controversial things we said. Of course, now that we said like controversial things and, and been negative about uh, internet acclaimed comics, this will be one of the podcasts that hasn't recorded. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, because we really did. Well, it's tough, because I, I, you know, there was a lot of stuff about the Avengers where I'm like, we're still just barely scratching the surface of how frustrating it is and how interesting it is, like, it's how, because, of course, you know, of course, I'm very excited, because Englehart is right around the corner for us. And I'm so ready for it. I'm so ready to get rid of Thomas. Yeah. And especially, just, can we talk about the fact that 97 through 100 is yet again Thomas returning to like a mythological thing, which is what he did for issue 75 as well? Like, yeah. he, he has a, uh, I'm going to get mythology working in this book if it kills me, and it never works. Yeah, it really, and he's like, well, last time I did Hercules, so if I bring back Hercules, and to be fair, Hercules was where it really kind of had the closest, but he's like, well, I took away his memory, and, and there is the, it's like, I felt like Barry Smith's stuff was actually less accomplished, had less charm in 98, 99, and 100 than it did in the earlier, hey, look, it's oh, Cobra I, Commander issues. There is, because I was going to say, I think 100 is, is the best Smith art in the series yet. Really? I, well, admittedly, I read in it on a huge tear. In large huh? part because he looks more like the Smith that we know now. Well, that's it. It looks like Barry Smith. It looks, he's drawing it, and I felt like... When they went into 98, I don't know how long they were planning on keeping Barry Smith on the title, but clearly the Hawkeye redesign and bringing back Hercules. Oh, oh my God, the Hawkeye. Oh, you've just reminded me. The terrible, <laughs> terrible, like, Roy Thomas has no fucking idea what he's doing with Hank Pym or Hawkeye, does he? No. He completely just changes his mind like him. He's like, uh, okay, so Hank Pym's definitely retiring. It's retiring for good. He makes a big point. Retiring for good, like, five issues later. So I'm back as Ant-Man, just because you called. Oh, that was great. That was totally, you just know that that, to me, that was that thing of, like, so Neil Adams decided to draw, you know, like whatever it was. It was like signals were crossed. I had to work Ant-Man back into the book, you know. I I, I mean, the thing that's weird is it's arguable. The thing that I think is interesting is, is that after a certain point, the vision is Roy Thomas's, could arguably be termed Roy Thomas's Mary Sue, except I feel that he is the only, maybe because he's the only character that Thomas has created, that he truly feels comfortable moving him in directions and giving him subplots. You know, he actually sort of feels like an organic character as opposed to, yeah, Hank Pym. Most of the Avengers really are, aren't, aren't characters. They're like little animation flip books of characters where it's like, okay, you know, I'm moving from the angry drawing to the wisecracking drawing to the courageous drawing to the self-doubting drawing. And then and then I'm going to flip through it again really quick. See, hey, it looks like he's moving, you know, and I just yeah. whereas I do feel like the vision is one where, you know, the 
biggest evolution that the the division makes in the issues is is that he basically ends up talking in square um speech balloons you know it takes a while for that to kick in like and once he does no, but, it's like okay he also, there's the vision he gets emotional but i feel like you dude he was crying in the first issue what no, it is is yeah he, he has this whole like i'm falling in love thing is what it yes is. no 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 well but that but that's a different thing and then he gets into that whole like oh but i can't love i can't provide like he's got a scene with Jarvis. i am just uh dot 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 yes panel. a machine <laughs> <laughs> right and it's clear that 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 thomas is stealing from the Spock playbook because a lot of times he's like, I held back because logic dictates and then logic, blah, blah, blah. And then when he does feel emotional, he's completely paralyzed. You know, they're not new moves. And in fact, of course, they end up being the majority of the moves that the vision gets to do from here to eternity, um, you know, for the most part, Uh, you know, until Engelhart takes it, plays it out and, and then eventually develops it in that glorious 12-issue Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries, um, he really has... They're solid... I'm just saying, comparatively, it's solid moves that very few people have. And and yeah, Clint Barton, Hawkeye is... Interestingly enough, he's a mess, even while his character, for the most part, remains... I don't know, consistent? Craven, but consistent. You know. His character. Uh, the, my favorite part is his uh, declaration of love to Wanda. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he goes, "Hey, lady, I've been giving it some thought, and I've realized I might love you. So there's a wedding in your future." I love I that. Love, I mean, that's amazing. Out of nowhere. That's out of amazing. Nowhere. And I mean, it's you know that it's out of nowhere to get the soap opera scene, but there is kind of a weird. I don't know. There is something like when you look at. Hawkeye, across the course of the Avengers, he is such a turd, but in a way that I, for whatever reason, like, like, I really, I'm like, oh, he's kind of a likable, like, he starts off being that insane hothead that you just want Captain America, like, he and Captain America need to go have their scary hate sex and then kill each other in the lover's suicide pact, you know they're destined to have. But then they, he ends up sort of being this weird, like, he's the hothead who so instantly backs down that I'm kind of like, oh, is he just a coward? Like, there's that weird, like, Hawkeye's not a character, he's not a well-rounded character, but I feel like he's so consistent that you could make him a well-rounded character, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting that he goes on to be such a very, very hugely different. I mean, that's one of the things that's really fun about Steve Englehart's West Coast Avengers um, is Englehart really is interested in having characters grow up. He really does believe that Marvel characters do grow up. And unfortunately that ends up, you know, that's, that's a Marvel myth that I feel, you know, very officially got rolled back at various points throughout the history. Um, yeah, well, well, now of course they don't grow up; they just get rebooted and reset. Well, right, exactly. It's, and, and but not I mean, even that's reset it to the same characters. Like, no, no, no. Reset to whatever that writer wants them to be, which right. is not necessarily like it works. It works for Marvel, you know. Right, it works for Marvel, and frankly, I mean, there is the at least Matt Fraction's Hawkeye is interesting. He's not, he's not the same guy. You know what I mean? Oh, he's not a in, fundamentally not in different guy. Just yeah. Not in the slightest, but at least he's still, 
It's it's an interesting book, and he's an interesting character. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Which is I, that is that's where I'm kind of at at this point in the game. Is like that's that's really that's all I need, you know. Well, no, so. exactly. You you get to the point where you're like, you know, this might not be the same character that I grew up reading in my school's adventures. However, it's still an interesting book, right. and he's a fictional character. Why would I really be that bothered that he's inconsistent? Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. Why would I be bothered that he's inconsistent? But also just it gets into that zone of like, Hawkeye, like, Hawkeye, Hawkeye, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, Hawkeye, deaf in one ear, now I'm divorced. Like I keep leading the thunderbolts. Now I'm and... now I'm dead. Now my wife. Right, I'm dead. dead. Now I'm now... heard about it. Yeah, you know. I guess he does end up having sex with the Scarlet Witch after all. Well played, Brian Bendis. But uh, <laughs> you know, like wow, now, that, was, that, that would be great if that was actually a really heavy continuity shout out. It, uh, you in, know, it would in be Avengers a hundred, you can say that there's wedding bells in the future, and if he meant sex. He's finally followed through. Well, I do love that. I do. There is something great that more characters should be like, oh, hey, you're looking fine. Let me fool you with babies. You know, like, I guess maybe not because it clearly. Let me fool you with babies. Jeff, is that how you managed to win Edie's heart? Because if so, I am disturbed on a number of levels. Oh, I see. I see. So you're saying offensive things about my wife now, Graham. That's, that's, I'm offensive things that's about unpleasant. You, no, but by <laughs> contrast, I'm okay if you left it there. But you're like the idea that I won over Edie with that sort of baby-filling talk. You're like, what's wrong with her? Like, that's kind of, come on, man. You're better than that, Graham. Okay, yeah, it's true. I am better than that. I apologize to you and to your wife. Yes, thank you. Because technically that line worked like gangbusters on her. I gotta say. Uh... <laughs> oh, man, really? Really? <laughs> no. Oh, Dad, let's not go there ever again. That's ever. right. Listeners, pretend this never happened. Um, so, I think we, we have to go. This up. Yeah, because like, we like, have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I will say this. I've just looked ahead at what lies ahead for our Avengers. Yes. Jeff, Engelhart starts in five issues. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Well, because I, I was going to say the Avengers Defender War is underway by issue 110 or 112 or something. So uh, No, but it, it is not. You're wrong. It's not? Oh, <laughs> shit. However, uh, Avengers issue 110 is the first Avengers comic I ever read. Oh, that's what I meant to say. I meant to say that the first Avengers comic you ever read is like issue 110 or 112, right? Yeah, issue 110. And then See? I read issues, issue 110 through 112. Uh, we're in an Avengers annual that was published in the UK uh, the year I was born. That wow. may possibly be the first Marvel comic I've read that someone gave me as a second-hand thing when I was a kid. Wow. Like, I'm talking like three or four. Wow, that's amazing. That's and I great. read to shit. Like, this might actually be why I like Engelhart so much, because they are all Engelhart comics. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, I read, reread that literally till it fell apart. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. So what issue is the Avengers Defenders War, you bastard? Uh, let me see. Let's see. It's not up. If my computer wasn't being an idiot, it would tell me. Uh, Avengers Defenders War looks like it's going to happen in 116. Oh, okay. <clears throat> All right. So, so you're super close, yeah. Super close, yeah. Within spitting distance, but not quite right. Um, and Engelhart in five issues, that's going to be great. Although, I, it'll be curious. As I recall, he is, if nothing else, he's working off plots from Thomas for the first couple of issues. Isn't that right? 
Uh, it looks like the first one. Oh, okay. I thought but it was... yeah, we, we've we've got a strange few issues ahead. The net issue one hundred and one is uh, an Ellison Thomas collaboration again. Oh wow! What do you think of that Ellison Thomas? Oh, you know who actually took Dave, uh, Roy Thomas to task for basically writing a subpar, like taking a Harlan Ellison idea and then just filling it with corny in jokes. David Michelini. David David Michelini actually wrote a letter in the Avengers. Saying, oh, oh, really? Oh, taking uh, him to task, yeah, saying like this was really beneath you. Um, it was very trite. Oh man, I'll have to look. I have to look into that. Um, I was, I was not a fan. No, no, it was kind of bad, and it's interesting because it really has a lot of, um, it, you know, the the whole. Basically, the Hulk and what we come to think of as the Microverse and Jarella, for me, those were such um, touchstones in the character, like sort of like fabled past glory stuff. And so to read this issue of the Avengers and then the Hulk follow-up that that followed it up, I was like, okay, the Avengers issue is utterly disposable, and then the Hulk issue is isn't fleshed out enough. Which is fine because a lot of people go on to reinvent that wheel and ride ride the coattails on that for a long, long time, you know. Even though it's really just kind of a recycled Star Trek episode, didn't didn't you feel that, you know? Yes, but you know, I'm also not surprised because it was what 1970 and Harlan Ellison. Well, but it's he, well, okay. I guess that's my thing. Is this Harlan Ellison? I suppose I shouldn't be so. Sub- surprised at all, but but I was kind of you know considering the amount of shit talking that he proceed proceeded to give like star trek and what have you i'm like okay so you just sat down and took the episode where like kirk marries like the gets it takes his indian bride and like yells at people and you turn that into the hulk and and you you're gonna get patted on the back forever about that all right well (laughs) (laughs) go Go, i was about to say you've stolen the soul of childhood from this 47 year old man mr ellison shame on you sir shame well played harlan do you remember do you remember um foe friends of ellison sort of vaguely I mean, uh, like we should we should leave that out there for the. Uh, what's that? The is that is that tied into the fanographics bullshit or no? No, no, no. Or was it? No, I. It was maybe it was definitely because someone was attacking Allison, and so his 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 friends literally formed an organization called Friends of Allison right. FOE. But I can't I can't remember who was who was giving him shit. Well, see, that's it. According to Allison, everyone was giving him shit, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. I, I, I'm very much the whole Harlan Ellison thing is is probably a discussion for another day because I, I that that is yet another sacred cow that I su- suspect will you know will be slaughter s- slaughtered on the wait what altar we so. were sorry listeners this has been a weird one Jeff I guess it kind of has it felt more focused than I sort of thought the last one was a little unfocused but I'm like we've got lots of juicy talk it's just I sort of feel like we had so many kill shots that I'm just like ah why can't I take them where are they I don't know I'm so frazzled you know at least I got to tell you about <laughs> Young Men issue 24 so and that alone makes this one worthwhile yeah let's let's hope so uh, listeners thanks so much for tuning in catch us in two weeks um where we will have is that is that right or is that or is that the skip? No no t- t- no two weeks is is when 
is when we're back, and then uh, my travel schedule is, makes our life very difficult for a while. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. That's right. Uh, so so anyway. yeah, uh, listeners, talk to you in two weeks, and then we'll tell you in two weeks what's going to happen. It, it'll be it'll, it'll be, be a thing. for us as well. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, for now, though, thank you for listening. I deeply apologize to everyone we have upset during this, and it's probably a lot. Our intentions are good, honest. Bye.